Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice, musician turned entrepreneur and co-founder of 6th Ave Homes and 6th Ave Storytelling. Over the past 10 years, I have launched multiple successful businesses and have become obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and marketing. I've been on a personal quest to unpack what it takes to make and grow a great brand. One thing that I've discovered is that stories are powerful and that storytelling has the power to set a brand apart. Join me as I dive into the stories of the heavy-hitting leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and business owners in our community to hear their biggest wins, greatest losses, and their best business secrets. There's a story behind every great brand. Welcome to Stories with Soul. Stories with Soul is brought to you by my company, 6th Ave Storytelling. In 2020, we launched a marketing company on a mission to encourage entrepreneurship and make starting and growing a small business easier than ever before. Since then, we have helped hundreds of small businesses and entrepreneurs grow their brands by giving them the tools, resources, strategy, and support they need to craft and share their stories. If you are thinking about launching and growing your own brand, schedule a meetup with me today. I would love to talk to you. Head over to 6thAvStorytelling.com and let me show you how the storytelling approach can transform your marketing strategy. Welcome, guys. I am excited to have uh, someone I've been wanting to have a conversation with for a while. I've been a been, been a fan. We've been acquaintances. Um, I I see you every Sunday at church. That's we right, go to, that's right. <laughs> we go to yeah. church together for the past <laughs> past few years. Uh, and I was recently on 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 his podcast. But I am joined by Derek Kinney, who I uh, I, I posted this on Facebook recently. Like you're 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 sort of the the money guru, the financial. Well, I appreciate that <laughs> guru that at <laughs> least that I, I know. So I'm I'm going to read your bio real quick. All right. Uh, so so Derek Kinney is changing how you feel about money. Uh, he believes money is not bad, and good people should have more of it. After applying these proven principles with thousands of clients, Kinney sold his multi million dollar business to teach these successes, success steps globally. He's a CEO of Good Money Framework and the host of popular the popular Good Money Podcast, which I had the pleasure of joining you, you on. You did a great job. Yeah. Uh, you, you visit with influential businesses and thought leaders to inspire them to make more money and use it for good. He is a, a Wall Street Journal and USA Today national bestselling author. Uh, you wrote the book Good Money Revolution, which I have right here, holding it up for the camera to see, uh, which is which is fantastic. Um, I remember when that came out. That came out a couple of years ago. Uh, 22222. 22222. <laughs> um, Kenny is passionate about investing in the lives of young pe- people and recently founded simpleteensuccess.com, which is an online community for teens to learn money, business, and life success skills, all in a, in a, in a fun, relevant, cool way. That's right. Uh, he's known for making complex financial topics easy to understand and is a sought-after guest on local and national media uh, where, where he's been interviewed on CNBC, Fox News, CNN, Fox Business, PBS, Cheddar News, The Wall Street Journal. I, mean, I, I feel like literally once a week I see you on TV. Well, it's because I'm on TV once a week. So. <laughs> you're on TV a lot. But it's like, and it's all across the board, right? Like, you're, yeah. the, you're the guy that the news stations call when they have a money question. Well, it is, and it's something I love to do. Yeah. Money is so complex, Jamie, and I think it's what holds people back. And I've always wanted to be this easy to understand money guy mm-hmm. and people like it and they invite me back. And so it's a joy and I'm honored to get get to keep doing it. I love it. Well, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Yeah, welcome thanks. to Stories with Soul. I'm excited to, to I'm excited to, to one, hear your story, but then also 
Uh, just take, get get some money takeaways okay. as as well. I'm gonna put you in the hot seat on some. Great. We'll, we'll start with Storyland. Okay. And then you'll. I'm gonna have you take us to financial. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> land, well, I, I'm so excited to, to be here. You crushed it on our podcast, yeah. and everybody should listen to that episode. But it's a real joy to be with you today, and I'm honored to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So let, let's let's kick it off. So so your background. You you were a Financial planner. Yes. And, right, and right. had your own, is it practice? Is practice the right word? Business? Yeah, business practice. Firm? Yeah. yeah. Firm. Yeah. Firm. So what, yeah. All three of those. All firm, three of business, those. practice. <laughs> and and how, you started that super, super young, right? 26. At 26. Yeah. And I found this quote. Oh, did I write the quote down? I basically found this quote like of you describing yourself kind of as a, as a broke 26-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Asking asking people to let them let you manage their money yeah uh, so how so how did you and then you grew it into this successful business right you sold it and now you're on you're the money guy guru so to, to walk me through sort of like the early days how you got into the financial world like what 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 that looked like yeah let me take you back to when i was a kid because uh, i i would keep these cash books and I would write down any time I found money on the ground, I would put that in my cash book. Just on the ground? Found one penny on the ground, found a dime, found a quarter. Found a quarter as a kid. That was like hitting the lotto. And were you, were you earning money too? Well, at the time I was just a kid, so I wasn't okay. earning money. I would you just, just look for money, finding, finding money. it, that kind of like thing. Like a treasure right? hunter. Like a treasure hunter. <laughs> and uh, so then my, my first job that I made up was basically inspecting the bikes of my family and friends. So I made up this little inspection certificate and, you know, looked at the tires and checked the air and make sure the handlebars worked okay. And I think I charged like a dollar for that. My my sister saved up and paid me for that inspection Um then I actually cleaned some driveways and just did just did various things to earn money. But what I learned was I, I just had this passion for giving. Mm-hmm. And I remember vividly there was a moment at our church where they were talking about launching a food bank. And something inside me, Jamie, hit me really hard. And I thought, I don't struggle with where my next meal is going to come from. We, we have a middle-class family. My, my parents worked hard to provide for us. But I wanted to give to that food bank. And so I remembered... My very first job as a package clerk at Minyard Food Store, sacking groceries, and I was always a big tither, you know, giving ten percent back to the church. But I as, began, a, as a kid, you're doing that. Hey, I'm 15 years old, okay. and uh, and then I, I decide to give money to the food bank at our church. But I realize they're going to probably know who gave this money, and so I, I wrote it in my left hand to kind of try to disguise where they wouldn't know. Here's an envelope with cash in it. And it was that feeling inside of doing something really cool for somebody else, but doing it anonymously. Mm. And it just became addicting. It was like a drug that I can go make more money and I can do more good with it. So I want to go make more money to do more good. And that ultimately led to the book. But it was a concept I just began to embrace very, very young that I can have impact, but I equated having money as giving me the ability to have more impact. I love all that. That does not sound usual to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so as a, as a dad, I got you know five year old, seven year old. We had we literally had just we're recording this episode the day after Halloween. Yes, yes. And so it's probably gonna air a little bit later. But but you know they got all the candy. But if I was to say, even last I was like, give me a piece of candy. Right, uh, right. The, uh, little children's in you know natural instinct is mine. This is right, this right. Is, so how and then also so one yeah this idea of like becoming addicted to giving away it's probably not 
usual. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a right. context backstory to that. And also, like, keeping books of... <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like, why were you wired that way? Was that something you were, you were just kind of born with, or were you taught that? Were you did you see that in your parents? Or what? Take me through both both of those. Yeah, I just I I always enjoyed making money, saving money. I remember going on vacation every two every year for two weeks at my grandparents in Washington State. And back then they had this Sears and Roebuck catalog. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at the catalog and I found a go kart. Okay. And I thought, my gosh, if I could just have that go-kart, my life would be complete. Mm-hmm. It was several hundred dollars, unattainable, but it just inspired me to think about if I can work hard and save more money, I could possibly buy that. And so I, I think at an early age, I just began to equate goal setting. And if I want to achieve certain things and know what I want, mm-hmm. then if I can craft a plan, it's going to take money to do that. And mm-hmm. And ultimately... Then when I was in high school, I mean, uh, I was teased a lot, Jamie. So let me be very vulnerable with you here. Mm -hmm. Uh, My nose is quite a bit larger than the national average, okay? (laughs) And everybody told me about it from sixth grade on. And so it it led me to some dark places because uh, I didn't like being teased. It was hard to fit in. And so I'm I'm now a sophomore in high school, Sam Houston High School in Arlington, my, my hometown essentially, and I decide to run for office, okay? Mm-hmm. And I look around and I take this anti-approach. I, most people make these campaign posters and they put big letters and it's easy to see. I use the opposite approach and put really, really small letters thinking it would cause people to have to walk up there and look at it and, and do something different. Well, it wasn't an effective strategy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so. This episode is sponsored by the Fort Worth Business Press. As a Fort Worth entrepreneur and small business owner, the Business Press is my favorite source for news and updates about the entrepreneurial community in and around Fort Worth. I read their email newsletter literally every day. It's always full of insights and stories that really matter. Are you ready to be more connected? Sign up for their free newsletter at fortworthbusinesspress.com. But... If you're like me and the newsletter just isn't enough, you can become an insider. With the code STORYTELLING10, all one word, you'll get a discount on the insider membership. Insiders receive exclusive access to special content, 24 issues of the business press delivered to your door each year, and discounts on event registrations and more. Join me and the Fort Worth Business Press in staying up to date on the people, companies, and issues that matter most to Fort Worth. I ended up getting, I was junior class vice president. So it was still fun, but it was second place. And that basically was the same as last place when you're in high school. So at the end of that year, I decided to take a huge step, a big risk. And I decided to run for student body president. Okay. And I looked around the school and it was this ethereal moment of of just seeing all these groups, all these cliques. I saw the the rock and roll crowd and the band crowd and the, the athletic crowd and the the, the people who love to do their schoolwork crowd, all that kind of stuff, but nobody was connected. Mm-hmm. And this vision I had was, what if I introduced myself to each of the leaders of these groups and said, let me get a picture with you shaking your hand, and I'm going to put a picture of you and me on a poster board, and we're going to put it above where you and your friends hang out, endorsing me as student body president. And so Rollin Curley, who was part of the rock and roll crowd, I remember he put on there, Rock the vote with Derek, uh-huh. elect him student body president. And what I realized was there was a bunch of nobodies, but together we became a somebody. Mm. And on election day, there were five other people, and I didn't come from the gene pool of the popular kids. I, I was fighting upstream uh, to get where I was. 
and I was elected student body president. And I remember that day because it wasn't me who won, but it was all of us who won. Mm. And that taught me something that has carried me through business, Jamie, in the sense of when you can let people feel heard and valued and part of something bigger, it changes everything. You know, we just had our 30-year class reunion about a month ago, mm. and several people shocked me when they said, Derek, do you remember when you ran for student body president? It's like, well, yeah. It was still impactful for them how they felt Because you brought them years along ago. On, on, on that journey. Yeah. And what it taught me was when I then became a, a financial advisor at 26, I thought, Derek, don't overcomplicate this. Just go back to what you were good at, and that is letting people feel heard and valued and part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me then to, to begin giving back to local education and, and sponsoring teachers and students of the month. And we then began to have clients call us and say, Derek, we want to work with you because you care about what we care about. And that's what I think is a lesson that all business owners can take today. Those are great. So just that bringing people in, uh, also like highlighting, making other people feel special. Yes. Is a big part of it. The great. Next. So you, you as a kid interested in money at a very early, early age worked. You kind of, yeah. you had the, the inspection hustle. You were, you were bagging groceries, right. doing that, fell in love with this, of giving back, um, sort of the, the internal joy that came with that. Right. And then also you, you sort of cracked the code on this, how to motivate people and get people to rally. Cause it's, cause it, what you did was, wasn't like, I'm awesome. I'm the best. It was like, let me highlight, yeah. let me highlight them and bring them into the story. So right. you kind of have, you have these sort of unique attributes, so to speak. And then, okay. so you went, went, went to, went to school and, and did you know, I wanted to be a financial planner? Do you know, I want, know you wanted to go into that no. So funny, funny story. So my dad would always tell me, Derek, just get your degree. It's a stepping stone for the future. Mm-hmm. And so going to college, we didn't have a lot of money. And so I went to UTA and I, because of my leadership in high school, being student body president and other things I was involved in, I got essentially a full ride to UTA. Okay. So I could live at home and go to school. But what I learned was that I wasn't good at balancing studying uh, outside of high school. And mm-hmm. so I lost that scholarship my first year mm-hmm. and didn't really know how to study, wasn't prepared as well as I should have been. And that was hard, mm-hmm. but it was probably one of the best things to ever happen to me because it allowed me to put my back against the wall and suddenly my education became mine and I had to pay for it myself. And you were paying for yourself. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and it's, so it's, you take ownership of it. Then. Everything changed. Yeah. Everything changed. And so I remember I, I could pay by the semester at UTA and my goal was to keep a certain grade point average and where my mom worked, they would provide a couple hundred dollars of scholarship if you kept above like a 3.5. Mm-hmm. And so my incentive was if I'm going to keep going to college, I need to get that scholarship to keep paying for this thing. Mm-hmm. But I remember just working part time, paying my way through and you go to the library at 11 o'clock at night and study after work, all those things. Mm-hmm. But it became mine. Yeah. And I think that's what really helped me be successful was owning that and going through some hard times, but realizing I can either turn back or turn into it that really helped me. Mm-hmm. And so you you chose to turn into it. Yes. Yeah. I can I can, I, I can relate to that. One of, one of my, I think, defining moments um, 
for me was was when my my parents cut me off. Mm, I, was like, yes. gonna, I was like, I'm gonna drop out of school and go play music, and they're like, All right, cool, you're you're cut off. We we talked a little bit right, about yeah, this. yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But it's just like when when you're on your own fully, it's like you you got to take ownership of it. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you take because because as a kid, like I you know I I. I had a pretty privileged, I wouldn't say I was like super privileged, but mm-hmm. I like middle-class family like took care of us. But but just, it becomes a different thing when you got to earn it. And then when oh, you're paying yeah. your way through school, like that's a, it's expensive and that's a lot of work. Yeah. And you're doing double time. And so you, so you came out of school, you earned it, you you worked the whole time. Um, the, the, then what? How, how did you t- connect the dots on, on how you entered that, that world? Yeah. So I really had a passion for communication. Yeah. And I, I love to speak in public. I love to learn about speaking, just words. All those things were very appealing to me. Mm-hmm. And so I got my degree in what was called organizational communication with a minor in marketing. Okay. And my marketing classes, I just loved. Mm-hmm. I remember I copied a page out of how to write a press release, common topics as to why to write a press release. And I'm like, this is gold. PR, marketing, I love this stuff. And so... I, I squeezed four years into six at UT. I was working, basically taking essentially, you know, 12 hours a semester, never took any summer because I needed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I only took one finance class in college. Now that's kind of the running joke, but I always had this passion for, for money. And I began to look at my parents and I looked at some of their friends and it seemed like all of them had an intention of, I want to do better financially, but there's nobody around to help give them a game plan. Mm-hmm. There's no framework for financial success. Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, that is just not right. Mm-hmm. If there's people like my parents who are struggling financially that want to do better, but don't know how, I bet there's people all over the Metroplex that have that same problem. How can I solve that? Mm-hmm. And so then as I'm, as I'm working full time, I went to work for a small software company out of school. I was the one sales and marketing person. Everybody else had brought their dogs to work, all kinds of stuff. It was super casual. I was more of a, a suit and tie kind of guy back in the day and went back and got all my licenses. So mm-hmm. went back and got, uh, you know, learned how to become a financial advisor, got training and so forth. Took about six months and then made the big break and, and went into it. And I remember people telling me, Derek, you're going to fail. You're too young. You don't have enough cash reserves. And I'm like, well, I just quit my job. There's no option. I, I have no choice but to be successful. Mm-hmm. And it was the proverbial burning your ships. And it's and it's eat what you kill kind of industry. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and you've got to go out there and you've got to learn that the word no becomes your friend because it's about to introduce you to new friends. The more no's you get, <laughs> you're about to find yeah. out the yeses are in the neighborhood, but you got to knock on a lot of doors to, to get through the no's. And, and somebody gave me some wise advice, and that is, you know, don't let the phone intimidate you and just learn that's part of the deal. Why, why other people aren't successful because they don't do hard things and being on the phone all day is a hard thing, yeah. but it's going to get you to an easier place. So you've got to go through the hard to get to the easy. And that's what taught, what guided me was I'm 26, have no kids. I was probably working at that point, probably 70, 80 hours a week. Wow. But you had to put in the time to build something great. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I first hit the $100,000 mark, that was a big deal uh, because my first job paid me 27000 
And then hitting the million dollar mark in our business was huge. I took the whole team to Hawaii to celebrate. It was a big deal. We worked for it all year. And I thought, had I not taken that risk when I was in my previous company, there was this moment where, you know, my dad had always talked to me about, Derek, you've got to take risk. You've got to be out there and be bold. But he would get to the edge of that, but he could never make the jump himself. Mm -hmm. And there was a moment before I left my full-time job where I thought I'm either choosing to stay here where someone else will tell me my value Mm -hmm. and they'll give me a yearly raise based on what they think I'm worth, or am I going to bet on what I think I'm worth and go launch something new? And one was fraught with unpredictability, fraught with risk, fraught with uncertainty. But I'm like, I'm 26. I got to put all the chips on Derek right now and give the wheel a spin. And, and, was there any moments where you're like, this is like, where you thought about hanging it in, where it didn't work? Were there like some some dark nights of the soul in doing that? Or did you instantly, like, talk me, like, I, I, my assumption is, is is you're choosing to do that, but there was also some, mm-hmm. it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I mean, God provided every step of the way, like even money to take one of my tests. Uh, my wife's dad happened to give her some birthday money, which right. my wife said, Hey Derek, let's put this money toward that. And so you're married at the time. Yes. So you were married. So when you're 26, when you leave the stable job to go pursue this. Right. And my wife is fully on board. I mean, we, we have prayed through this. We feel like God has clearly opened the door. And there, there was also two factors that made the decision a bit easier. One is that my boss at the small company I worked at had a little bit of a habit of bouncing our paychecks. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. And so imagine writing a tithing check to your church and having to call the pastor and say, Hey, don't cash my check because it's hot. Wow. So that was a problem. But also we had worked super hard for several months to get a big project out the door. And as the one marketing person, everybody else were engineers, I was overlooked for a bonus. And I thought, okay, Derek, you've got a decision to make. This this is basically the company telling you how much we value you, and you've got to make a decision about what you want to do. So I think because we were coming from nothing, it made the decision a little bit easier, but it was hard because people question you. And this is where I entered into the being misunderstood zone. And I find... What do you mean by that? Well, what I find is that our society... Not for anybody wanting ill will, but we're sort of groomed, if you will, to get the steady job, mm-hmm. have the good insurance, get the good retirement plan, then buy the house and have kids, and then our families are proud of us. Mm-hmm. If we follow that formula that we've gone through for generations, everything's fine. But when you step out of that framework and you say, I'm going to do something different and bet on myself and it's hard to explain to people, that's typically where you're going to be the most misunderstood. Mm. And when people said, Derek, you're going you're gonna to manage money, people are going to pay you, I said, yeah, it's a, it's a plan that we're going to do. Here's how we're going to build this out. And I was questioned at a deep level. So here... From friends, from family, from... Yes. It sounds yes. like family was, was supportive. Your dad, well, your family, dad encouraged Family was you. supportive, but, but they're still wondering, is this going to work? And it, yeah. and it comes from a standpoint of, our family wants the best for us yeah. and they want to protect us yeah. from things that we may not see. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking of, we want to do things 
that you don't have the ability to see because we're taking more risk to do it. Mm -hmm. And so a good example, fast forward just to like six months ago. So we have a very entrepreneurial family now. So we've got four kids. Uh, My youngest graduated high school uh, just a few months ago. And we were having lunch. uh, And I, I, out of the blue, I said to our kids, do you guys ever feel misunderstood? And you could have heard a, a pin drop, Jamie. And they were like, yeah, that's it. We feel misunderstood because my daughter's launched a business. Uh, my other daughter works for an entrepreneurial company. Both of my boys are launching entrepreneurial businesses. Wow. And when you explain that to people, they're like, what? Why don't you just get a job? Yeah. Well, a job is the enemy of people who want to be financially successful. Nobody wants a job. They want a calling. They want to do something meaningful with their lives. And when I was able to attach to our kids, it's normal to feel misunderstood. Suddenly they felt understood. Mm -hmm. They're like, ah, that makes sense. And now we find it's very, very normal for entrepreneurs and business owners. I mean, you've done that. It's become more normal now. Yes. People are like, oh, okay, okay. It's normalizing the misunderstood. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like sexy romanticized now. It's a little, it's a, it's a little yeah, bit yeah, like, right, right, right. This is, it's like, it's still really, really hard. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it, but it, but it's, but it's not a normal, it's not the normal path. Right. It's, especially, especially, especially when you have nothing and it's not going well and you have nothing to show. show right, for right, yet. right. Yeah. You yeah. know, but, but it, it, it takes some, some courage around that. And so did, did you, took the sleep and you, and you were, you were on the phone, you're calling yes, yeah, you're, yeah. and you became okay with getting no's, uh, which no's are still not fun. No. Uh, so, so I needed to break through that. And so I, I'm a very impatient person mm-hmm. and I, I had a confidence in myself and I've always had this where money I've always felt like is an abundant resource, that it's not finite that just because I see somebody with wealth doesn't mean, oh, the wealth is all taken. Mm -hmm. I can't have any of it. No, if I add value to people's lives and keep after it and improve their lives and solve their problems, I can become wealthy as well. And that mindset of just keep betting on yourself, that's a renewable resource, guided me. And what it led me to do then was reach out to local TV stations. Mm -hmm. So one of my big breaks came when I began to send faxes. Now, back in the day, we had these things called fax machines. You would send this, put a piece of paper uh-huh. in, it would magically arrive at somebody else's office. And I would get to the office early, and about every two weeks, I would send to the producers of the local Dallas-Fort Worth TV stations basically a, a verbiage that said, when you need an easy-to-understand financial expert to talk about these topics, three ways to save for your kid's college education, four ways to cut back on your taxes, three ways to say for your retirement, call me, I'm readily available. And I did that for about six months. Okay. And did anybody tell you to do that? No, no. You just randomly sent news stations of facts. Yes. yes. (laughs) Well, and keep in mind, I've always loved PR and marketing. Yeah. This, that's your background. That, yeah, yeah. Because I've learned, I mean, and, and your mission was, I want to make money clear. I want to give yes. people a path. I want to communicate it better. That, that's why you got into it. Yeah. So yeah. PR, you, you, you studied how to do PR. Yeah. So you just started faxing. Well, I'm learning this on the fly because nobody's teaching me this. Again, this is way out of my do comfort that? zone. Is anybody doing that? Well, I, I still do it. Well, I know, but like then was anybody doing no, that? No, no. You, you no. just wake up one day and we're like, I'm going <laughs> to. 
Well, the the assumption the assumption is I always like like if somebody watching this right now, if you're honest with yourself, yeah, the assumption is that you think somebody else is already doing that, mm-hmm. or you have to have a certain set of skills to do it. Yeah. Well, I had never been interviewed before, but what I like to always do is. I like to put myself out there, and then once somebody says yes, I figure out how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I become my own fulfillment center, okay? And so the call came from CBS 11, a local station here in Dallas-Fort Worth, and they said, hey, Derek, we'd love to have you come on. I said, great, great. And so the interview was in a week, and so now I practiced, and I I sat on the Do you remember what the first topic was? Um, Yeah, so the, the, well... I don't recall what the exact okay, topic okay. was, but there, there were a couple things that I did. So I sat on a couch like this and I practiced talking to the guest. I practiced in the mirror. I practiced that interview going so well. And what I visualized was as clear as day at the end of the interview, they were going to say, Derek, you are made for TV. Would you come on on a regular basis? Uh-huh. And it was Brenda Teal Jackson, Jody Dean, longtime TV legends in the area. I remember Jody Dean. Yeah. Super good guy. And so went there, ready to go, confident, and the interview went great. Oh, just, ooh, it's hitting me now. Mm. How, how, oh, how, how old were you? Oh, at the time now, I'm probably 27, 28. Okay, so only two, two years into yeah, sort of this Yeah, just group. two years into the into business. Into taking this leap. Yeah, yeah. And you, you nailed the interview? Nailed it. Nailed it. And Because uh, you, you also practiced it. Yeah, heavy practice. And at the end of the interview, the producer said, Derek, um, Take, pull the, you are really, grab this and, yeah. the, the, the anchors, the uh, producer said, Derek, you are really good on TV. Would you come on on a regular basis? And I said, yes. That's what, it's what you, you envisioned. Yes, because I had said yes, as I visualized it so many times, the, the word yes just came out of my mouth because of course, this is exactly how I visualized it. But some people Derek, think about that's visualizing. So crazy. Oh, it was crazy. But but it was just it was, <laughs> I it was love I practiced that. it so much that it was it was sort of like I was watching myself performing in a way that I had practiced. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't a surprise just because I put so much time, but also there was a lot at stake. Mm-hmm. The stakes were high because I had put myself out there. And even to this day, there's still a funny technique that I use. So I was on with Neil Cavuto uh, about three months ago on on Fox. And one of the things is when you're on TV, say at 4.30 in the afternoon, not everybody sees it, they're working. Mm -hmm. And so I will post, hey, I'm about to go be on Fox News with Neil Cavuto. Here's what I'm going to talk about. And I put it out there for accountability. Mm. I want eyeballs to be watching me to know, Derek, you need to raise your game right now. And in this moment, you need to provide value because people are watching. What I never want to do is I don't want to fight for this opportunity and not bring the very best inside of me and add value to people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so TV for me was that gateway. And so then what happened was TV is sort of like the car business. People transition a lot. So Brenda Teal left CBS 11. She goes to Channel 5, the NBC affiliate, and that's where my big break occurred. So she remembered me and the producer said, hey, we need somebody to talk about this financial topic Howard Dorsey, the producer, calls. I end up being on five times a week on uh-uh. Channel 5. As a as a 20-something. 
Are you a small business owner or an entrepreneur? Do you do marketing for a small business? If so, I have something that I want to give you and it's totally for free. We've put together a free resource at 6fstorytelling.com slash download. And it's the secrets, it's the tips, it's the tricks, it's the tools of the trade. It's literally everything we do at 6F Storytelling to help small businesses grow. Go download it today at 6fstorytelling.com slash download. Yeah. So now I'm on at 5.30 and then back at 10 o'clock. Every day? Well, it was actually Monday and Friday, twice a day. And were you driving to the studio? Yes. Okay. This is is before, this is before like the COVID Zoom. There's no Zoom at this (laughs) point. No, you're in the studio. Okay. And then I, I was able to talk them into a Saturday morning segment as well. Because what I realized was busy people are at home on Saturday relaxing and I could catch them. And what that did is that really helped blow up our business because people would come in the office and say, Derek, we feel like we already know you. Mm-hmm. We feel like we already have a relationship with you. And, and right now, as you're, as you're watching this, think about whether you watch the news or streaming or the influencers you like. Have you ever met them before in person? The answer is probably no. But do you feel like you know them? Yes. And why? It's because their content connects with you in a way that's real and raw and relatable. Mm -hmm. And you would buy anything from them because the Ascension model has taken you to a point where you're not just liking them, you know them, like them, and trust them. Mm -hmm. And that was the game I was playing as a a young 26-year-old. How do I enter the game of know you, like you, trust you as quickly as possible? You you had authority because you're on TV. And they're seeing your face, they're hearing your voice, you're speaking in a, in a, in a way that's relatable. Right. So you, you didn't have to sell anything. You weren't having to go out and, and were you, still, you weren't having to call anymore, right? Oh, I was still doing that. You were because, still because, because inside of me, there was always this hunger mm-hmm. that it could all go away. Okay. That's yeah. when the imposter syndrome uh, tries to rent, you know, free space in your brain mm-hmm. and reminds you, Derek, you're, you're on top right now, but... But I never viewed it as on top. It was just, this is a pathway to get where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you a quick story. So I'm on NBC5 now. And one day I go to the studio and they take me to the back of the studio for the interview. But I see in the front of the studio, there's another guy there. And I see the CNBC logo there. And I think to myself, wait a minute. Why is he there And I'm going in the back in the garage to do my interview. And I said, that's not right. And so I I looked up who this advisor was and I realized he had an agent who was getting him on national spots. Mm. And so I called the agent and I said, hey, I see your guy here, but I'm good on TV as well. I want to be doing national spots. And so he then was able to connect to me with his name was Bobby Grossman. I think about Bobby all the time because he opened the door for me to national TV opportunities. And he taught me a couple lessons. One is you've got to be ready to go in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was once taking my kids to school and uh, Bobby said, now Derek, uh, sometimes I'm going to get a producer on the line. And when I call you, you need to be ready to go. And so I've got my two kids in the back. We're about to drop off at school. And he says, Derek, Bobby here, I've got a producer with CNBC on the line right now. Go. And I said, hi, this is Derek Kinney. It is so great to be with you today. You know, I am excited about this topic. Let's go. And that was your, that was your first CNBC? That was my first, uh, basically, pre-interview with CNBC. And you didn't know it was coming in, in that no, moment? No, but, but he had taught me ahead of time 
to you've got to raise on. up the voice. You've got to be on because they're going to judge you in the first few seconds. Okay, give, give me give me your on. Turn it on real quick. Jamie, it is great to be with you today. Yeah. I love being on your show. You know, today, one of the biggest concerns people have is, will they have <laughs> enough money for retirement? Let's talk so, about three steps to do that. Yeah. And so you need to have you're, that in you're your performing. back pocket. You're, it's exactly. You're a performer. You're you, entertaining. You are, you're a rock star, a performer, an entertainer yeah. in that moment, and you've got to bring it up yeah. because they want to know... Can I put, can they put their name to yours and can you add value? In the interview, they were like, yes, well, we're going to have you on. So I was on later on that day, but it's always so you, about bringing So you it. nailed the interview from the car on the way to school with kids, which landed the next one. Yes. But you, but the lesson was you got to be, you, you learned how to project and bring energy. And, right. Yeah. But also what I learned, and this is what my producer taught me, and I think this can help a lot of people. You can't live in that space. Like, I can't live in the amped up Derek yeah, yeah, yeah. space. Can't do that all the time. No. And it's okay. And that's normal. Like, most performers, they might be very introverted in their regular lives, mm -hmm. but there's a moment where they have to press the extroverted button and yeah. press it hard. They've got to go hard for a certain amount of time yeah. to sprint, but the marathon, they're more introverted. Yeah. And so I, I've learned of, I can bring it. And when the camera turns on, you bring it, Derek. Yeah, you got to bring it. But when the camera turns off, you're good. Yeah. I, I think that's so true. Like that was always my approach to music. Cause okay. I think there's, there's so, there were so many musicians who were better guitar players and better songwriters. But right. like, I always like, I am an entertainer. Yes. People are paying money to see me do something. Right. And I am going to, even if I'm not having a good time, like I'm going to, I'm going to act like I'm having a good time. Right. Like, right. Because, because that's, it's, it's a performance. And mm -hmm. the same thing with interviews, like the best podcast guests bring energy. They bring yes. energy to the room. Then you, then you, it's not it's not always like that, but you have to know how to like what do people want. I think that's true for interviews. That's true for TV. Yes, that's true for and and so many artists are so caught up in their art or in mm -hmm. the thing that they're doing, they just focus on that and not about how do you present yourself. Which sounds like you also kind of learned that in the early days of student council. Yes, yes. The small letters versus like I I got to I got to rally the troops. Right. And there's an art to rallying the troops. That's right. That's um, right. Okay. I, I, so I want I want to summarize a couple of things that I, that I that I just big takeaways that I loved. Um, I think the first is is this idea of having a vision. Because I think each each step of the way you had a vision of like yeah. here's the career I want here's the thing I want. I see myself on TV. You know I I think if you don't if you don't know where you're going. You're definitely not going to get there. Right, right. And so you you had this clear vision for multiple different things, for the career, for the TV, mm -hmm. for the how I want to help people, I want yeah. to do something with money. You visualized it, which I know that sounds kind of woo-woo to people, but but man, like, I, 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 even like as a kid, I would sit in my, my room and play guitar and I had this vision of being right. on stage, this, vi you know, vision of our show. Right, right. Um, so this idea of visualizing it, having clear vision, you also put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. I always say like the worst that can happen is they can say no. That's right. And you don't know if you don't ask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you were reaching out and faxing and then you saw the CNBC guy and you're like, wait a minute, you know, I'm a good speaker too. <laughs> <laughs> so put it, putting yourself like, I think yeah. that's a lot of my success has been, man, I'm just, I'm going to ask. Right. Right. I'm, in the early days of green reward. And so, man, I remember, I remember messaging, like I looked up like the heads of CMT when we first started kind of doing country stuff and I was like, put us on your show and they wrote me back and they're yeah. like, okay, we'd love to have you. But you got to, you have to ask. You yes, have to, yes. and there's a vulnerability that comes from that. Right. Um, 
and then practicing. You know, you, you got to, de- you said you got to deliver the goods. Yeah. So, I mean, man, all of those I think are huge, pr- probably lessons that have carried you through all, like to, to this day. Right. Right. Um, so you, true. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to add to any of those? I mean, just. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the, the things you do today will better prepare you for success tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, things I was doing then, I didn't know where it was going to take me. Mm-hmm. But what I've now learned is I was in the problem solving business. I just didn't know it. Mm. What do you mean by you know, that? Oh, you know, while I wanted to be on TV, I thought it would help me personally. Mm-hmm. What it did was it allowed people who had financial problems that needed to be solved, they had a person they could find and trust who could solve those problems. Mm-hmm. And so the more I was on TV, the more it attracted more people to me because my message resonated with them. You know, people would say to me, Derek, I feel like you're talking directly to me. I feel like you understand me. I feel like you you finally have said some things that make sense. I've heard about money, but nobody's ever talked about it in such an easy to understand way. Mm-hmm. And then what I began to realize was this wasn't about the Derek show or the me show, which gets canceled all the time. It's the we show. And basically my role was to educate people. And now what I've learned is when I go on an interview I pick one person. I think about who is my client avatar Mm. in this interview. And while I'm talking to Jamie or I'm talking to Neil Cavuto or Stuart Varney or whoever it may be, I'm picturing one person who could benefit from what I'm talking about. And I'm simply talking to them. Mm. And what that does is I then get feedback from those people that say, Derek, it seems like you were talking directly to me. Mm. And so look at every opportunity, whether you're speaking being interviewed on a podcast, whatever it may be, who is the ideal person that you can serve and then speak directly to them? Because what that'll do is it'll just raise up in the audience those people that you can work with and it makes your job easier. Plus they're hoping, they're hoping you have time for them in your calendar. Mm -hmm. They come to you because you're the expert. Expect to pay more because I'm working with the expert. This is the person I just saw on TV or on the podcast or, or wherever that may be, and they're hoping this person can fit me into their schedule. That's a great way to do business. Yeah, it totally is. But so solving people's problems, yes. speaking directly to someone, not making it about you, um, which is what you did back in the student council. Day. Yes. Making it about you. So you wind up on CNBC. You nailed, you nailed, you brought the energy yeah. uh, and started doing that more. So now you're doing national um spotlights so so to right speak. and so your your career your business started to take off right correct yeah. And, yeah and what what like what was how long did you do that what was that like well the i still do national tv you still do national um, tv but but you're but you're no longer no so i've sold i've sold that business and, and one thing how, I wanted, how, how long did you do that before you sold your business 25 years you did it for 25 years yes and you built a team and you were helping people manage their money and right financial advice yeah, yeah, we built uh, we built one of the top fee based businesses in the country. Wow! And I just simply loved solving people's problems. And our, our unique niche was retirement income planning. Okay. And so as I would talk to people, I would talk about you know you can work with a general practitioner if you would have to have a medical procedure done, mm-hmm. had to have your knee or your shoulder worked on, 
would you want to work with the doctor that knows a little bit about a lot of things or the person who knows a lot about a little bit, the specialist? And your your little bit was retirement. Retirement. Okay. So You're I the retirement about, guru. I was the retirement guru, yeah. and that's all I did every day. And so people who were five years, a couple years from retirement and worried about it, we crafted a plan to help them not run out of money. That was their number one fear. I've worked hard all my life. I want to provide for my kids. I want to provide generational wealth. I don't want to be the person that didn't manage things well. And so by doing that, it, it let us get better and better quickly because we specialized. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage people, when you specialize, you get paid more, you enjoy your work more, and you're solving problems that come natural to you. But one business lesson I learned, Jamie, and that was as, as a solver, and I know a lot of people are solvers naturally, in that first visit with a prospective client, you are not allowed to solve any problems. If you solve problems in the first visit with a client, they will likely not work with you because they think, oh, my problem solved. I don't need this person. Instead, you want to stoke the problem. You have to stoke the problem. You have to say to them, no, Jamie, I, I can see why that's a concern to you. Is that something you'd like my help with? And they say, yes. Okay. And you make a note. Okay. Wants help with this. Uh, I can see. Now, what would you say worries you the most about that problem? And you're simply stoking their problem to amplify it in a way where they're like, dude, what will it take for you to solve my problem, for goodness sakes? So th- this is this is a sales technique, so to speak. Yes. Because you know how to solve the problem. Oh, yeah. You clearly know how to solve yeah, it. Yeah, you, 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 like, that's what you're good at, but you don't yep. solve it. Dude, this is, but that's I told gold. people, I, I told people now, no fee, no me. You would say that? Let's say it together. <laughs> no fee, no me. I don't, I didn't say that to the prospective uh-huh. client. But yeah, your, your team, you're teaching them this is what I teach my that. advisors yeah. and my team. Yeah. It's like, we want to solve the problem. They want us to solve it, mm-hmm. but they need to pay us to solve it mm-hmm. because until they pay us, they won't see the value in the solution that we provide. And so once I curb that, and it's still a temptation. Yeah, because you want to help. People, I want to, oh, yeah. Because you know the answer. Yeah, yeah. You've done this so long as an advisor. I, I, you, you could answer anything. I've not really seen anything new, but it was like you want to stoke the problem, build the value. Here's the relationship. Is that what you like my help with? Yes. Okay. Here's what it would take to do that. Here's the fee for that. Here's how we work. Okay, great. Because people want the problem solved, but also... Great great sales and great marketing address talks about the problem. If you solve it too early and you charge too low of a price, they get suspicious. Mm. Well, I I thought I would pay more. And so always realize when you're in a fee-for-service opportunity... You want to charge appropriately because of the value. You're literally changing these people's lives. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, again, my business began to skyrocket. But when I was 26, I want to go back to something that really impacted me. And that was I had a passion for education. And as I began my career, I looked around and I said, there's other smarter advisors. People have more knowledge, better country club memberships, more money than I do. I'm Derek Kinney, young I look like a punk starting a financial advisory business. Who's going to work with me? And so I went back to my alma mater, Sam Houston High School, and I said, I want to sponsor a teacher of the month and a student of the month because I would have loved that to have been available to me. And I thought, nobody ever came back to my high school to give me a sense of what could my future look like. Nobody successful ever came back. And I said, that's just not right. 
I want to make sure I change the direction for these students. So I, I gave a $50 gift card to the teacher of the month, a $25 to the student of the month. It, you would have thought they won the lottery. It mm. was just a business expense for me, but it was because they were valued and seen and appreciated. Well, we would put these pictures of me and the principal and the teacher and the student in the newspaper back in the day. Because there's no, no Instagram. No Instagram back <laughs> so in the day. No, in no the Instagram. Paper. No, the paper was this papery kind of stuff that we would have delivered to our houses, you know. And uh, a few months later, I began to get phone calls from people saying, hey, uh, we've seen you. We'd like you to manage our money. And I remember one lady, this, this was the most unprofessional thing I could possibly have done. I said, ma'am, if you don't mind me asking this, I'm 26 years old. Why are you working with me? Why, why did you call me? And what she said changed how I thought about my business. She said, Derek, it's because you care about what we care about. Mm. And it was because so she good. had a passion for education. She wanted to work with me. And what I realized was you don't have to be the smartest or have the best sales technique or this or that. You just have to have something that people care about that you share common ground on. And that's what led me to write this book eventually was this whole good money revolution, how to do more good by making more money. So the more I grew my business, the more schools I could support, the more students I could recognize, the more teachers I could give recognition to, and it motivated me to become a, a part of the community where people were like, I can work with any financial advisor in the area but I'm going to work with Derek because he opens a doorway for me to be part of something bigger. Mm. I invest with him, but I'm investing back into other people's lives in the community at the exact same time. Yeah. And they buy your why. They buy your mission. He can't, yes. He has, he has bigger values. Okay. So, so just, just to unpack a little bit. So you, 26, you're, still, you're not making a ton of money because you're, st you're still, no. but you're, you're, you, you had this idea to, you wanted to support your school because yeah. nobody really did that. So you, so you started gift cards right just right. to make make people feel special a way oh, yeah. to give back yeah it's a it's an opportunity but then you put it in the paper right so you bought like an ad no no so so the beauty of all this was this is just public relations this was the this is this was the, the PR side. so you're just saying there's I, a community page in the paper okay. that they need to fill with stuff and I said hey hey we love to support local education highlight these students of yeah. the, of the month or yeah and they would they did it every time they so, loved it again just kit like it's 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 not advertising. It's great. It's great PR. People, right. It's a story. We're highlighting someone. Yes. So, so you wind up in the paper. <laughs> yeah. Which all of this is, I don't like. I hope people can appreciate how brilliant the TV <laughs> thing is, and even this thing. Like, and, and I know there's altruism. There's a good. There's a heart behind it. Oh yeah. But then doing something with that. Right. It's it's also like you're a great you're a great marketer, and that's a great story. I love to market. And um, because the reality. Yeah. If I might interject this, ask yourself this question. If you have the solution to someone's problem and they can't find you, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. It is your fault. If you have the medicine mm -hmm. for someone's pain and they can't find you, you have done them and yourself a grave disservice. Mm -hmm. And so marketing is the key. Mm -hmm. So I would always have my office on the corner where I could see the highway. Because it was a reminder that every day I've worked hard to market myself as the financial advisor in Arlington, Texas. And most people knew me, but every day people were moving out of Arlington and people were moving into Arlington who had never heard of me before. Yeah. And then I had to remarket myself all over again. Yeah. And so basically what I learned was 
and it's a hard concept to get your head around, but I was a marketing company who provided great financial planning advice. I was a marketing company who provided great financial planning advice. I met lots of smart financial advisors who were dirt dog poor. Mm -hmm. They could have helped a lot of people, but nobody knew they were there. I never said I was the smartest. I think I cared the most. I had the knowledge. I had a great team and we delivered great returns for clients, Mm -hmm. but they knew who we were because we actively marketed ourselves as a solution provider for their pain points. Yeah, you told you told the best story. And yeah. I, and I, you know, with, with Sticks Avenue storytelling, we work with entrepreneurs, yeah. with small businesses, and I get it over and over and over and again, they have a great product, they have great service, they have a great they're really good at what they do. They built this incredible thing. Right. But it's it's not field of dreams. If you build it, they will it's, no. it's not true. It's like people don't buy the best product or no. service. They buy the ones that that tell the best story, the market. So, man, I think, yeah, yeah. I think you, you are, you, you're living and breathing testament and you're really good, good, good at that. So, so you were doing that, this, that woman kind of gives you that advice. You, you doubled down on that. Double down. Yeah. And so built, built this career, did it for 25 years, helped a lot of people kind of yeah. crack the code on retirement and solving people's problems. Meanwhile, you're still, you're still on TV. You're, you, you're becoming the, 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 the guy that simplifies money um, and so you, you eventually sold the company, right? Right. What, what was the, was that, was it like, I've, my time here is done. Someone made, like, what was that like? I want to yeah. do something different. Yeah. Talk so me through it, the transition of that. this had been on my mind for a while. And one of the things that helped me a lot is I go away by myself for about five days every year. Mm-hmm. I call it my yearly sabbatical. Wow. And so I typically go somewhere no, where there's a beach. No wife, no kids? No wife, no kids. Totally by yourself. Now, typically they'll join me two weeks after that, but I, I go there by myself. How long, how long had you been doing that? Uh, about six years now. Okay. And, and so I, I ask myself three questions. Mm-hmm. One is, how do I be a better husband? Mm-hmm. How do I be a better father? And how do I be a better business owner? Wow. So those three questions guide me. And the whole purpose of the time away is to think and pray and journal and really just to hear from God in a clear, uncluttered, focused way. So let me take you back now. So this, uh, this would have been probably March, April of 2019. Okay. Yeah. At that point, I'm in full acquisition mode. We're looking to buy practices. We're looking to grow. And we specifically like the Nashville area. Okay. Mm-hmm. What I looked at is where could I fly an hour and a half away from Dallas-Fort Worth? So I had an office in South, uh, over in McAllen on the border. I had bought an office in Houston, had one in Dallas. So we had grown quite a bit over the years. Mm-hmm. And in Nashville, I found a guy to introduce me to all these other advisors who were retiring. I was like, this is perfect. Well, out of the blue, he asked me a question that stunned me. He said, Derek, you're 50-ish years old. Why do you want to keep growing so hard? You're just simply having more headaches. So most people at your age want to sort of down cycle a bit. Mm-hmm. And I remember inside of me this emotion rushing up, feeling like, just shut up and find me advisors to, that, that I can buy their practices from. Mm-hmm. It really was annoying to me. But in that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit pricked my heart and said, Derek, you need to ask yourself that question on your sabbatical. Mm-hmm. What is it that you really want? So fast forward now, July of 2019, I'm at the W Hotel in Boston. 
morning of my sabbatical, just starting, and I write down what are things I would like to do. And on the list, and I still look at this list periodically, write a book, mm-hmm. launch a podcast, coach, speak, consult. And to my utter shock, what was not on the list, being a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And I just paused for a long time and realized, wow, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it, didn't love my clients, but I didn't feel like it was going to be Derek 2.0. I wanted to go bigger, and I felt like what I had done here locally was good, but I wanted to take my message to the world, mm-hmm. and so I would need to sell my practice. And, and the reason I came to that conclusion was many advisors, you can work one day a week in this business and coast and get by, but I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. I'm all in or I'm all out, yeah. and this is where people seriously question me. They're, Derek, why are you selling? You could just coast. You could do this. I said... I would rather put all the chips on Derek 2.0 and not know where we're going to go. Burn the ships again. Burn the ships again. Then, then coast through this and know I'm not all in because there's always those athletes you see that you say, why didn't they retire last year? Why didn't they retire at the peak? And I didn't want to be that advisor where I knew if I was feeling this emotionally, my clients would pick up on it. And my team would, and I would do them a disservice. Mm-hmm. I could, I needed to leave at the top. And people would ask, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to launch a podcast. I'm going to coach. I'm going to speak. Not knowing how any of this was going to take place. Yeah, how am I going to make money? Yeah. Gonna, yeah. But so I sold the practice. And so, when you, so, when, so you, you, you went on sabbatical, got quiet, heard, wrote that, those down. And yes. Heard that in your soul. Yeah. So big reversal of destiny here because I went from then wanting to acquire practices to then selling my own. Mm. And people are like, what are you doing? And I said, well, this makes perfect sense to me. To you, it may not because I'm inventing this as I go along. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what then led to the book, which was this whole concept of so much in culture today, we hear that money is bad, that if you have a lot of money, well, you're bad. And if you're successful, you probably got it by ill-gotten gains. Or if you're wealthy, then nobody else can be wealthy. Mm -hmm. And my pursuit of money is causing all of my problems. And I said, no. So kind of this this, this narrative and culture, the the big big corporations are bad. The big the billionaires are bad. Yes. Coupled with, you know, you know, you talk a lot about your faith, like even in the, the Christian spiritual world, having too much having money is bad, making money is bad. So kind of there's two sides of this coin. Yes. Um, and people just don't <clears throat> don't know what to do with it. And so so you 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 from being in this financial world for so long saw these misunderstandings or false beliefs mm-hmm. or, or sentiments out there. Yeah. And and had 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 that had that had, you know, you wrote down I want to write a book. Had that been the topic in your mind for a while? It, it had been there for a while. I didn't know it was going to be the topic of the book. Mm-hmm. But as I would talk to people, there would always be sometimes this underlying <clears throat> undertone of, boy, the wealthy are bad. Because the media tends to villainize people who are wealthy. Yeah. Now, am I saying everybody who's wealthy is a good person? No. I believe there's good people and there's bad people. But what do bad people do with more money? They do more bad things with it. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do is for the good people in the world, the people who care about their family, they care about their team, 
They want to make a difference in the world. I want to teach them how to make more money and then use it for good. Mm -hmm. Because at that moment, there's this sense of I get to control how I allocate this money and I can cause direct positive change. And so the book, I wanted to write a simple, shame-free success plan for people's money. Because I hear all the time from pundits out there that say, if you order coffee at Starbucks every day, you will never be financially free. If you spend, if you have Netflix, then you're always going to be poor. And it guilts and shames people into thinking, I need to give up a whole lot of stuff to have the retirement I want. That is flat dead wrong. And what the book is all about is how do we simplify money? How do we write on a sticky note my top three goals. And I'll share a quick story with you. Mm -hmm. I was in the office on a Saturday morning, catching up on some things. And I saw my voicemail light blinking. And it was that moment of, if I check that I'm going to get sucked into something else, but a voice inside, I think it was the Holy Spirit now that said, you need to listen to this message. I pressed the button and a frantic woman's voice said, Derek, if you get this, I know it's Saturday. You have to call me back right away. I'm in trouble. They're going to send me to jail. Well, I've never heard any message like that before. I quickly called her back and she explained to me, she said, Derek, I got a letter in the mail that they're going to send me to jail. I said, what happened? She said, well, I I wrote a check. I didn't move money from my savings to checking to cover it. I bounced the check and now they say they're going to send me to jail. And I said, okay, hold on. Why do you think that? So she goes back and she tells me a story about when she was a kid. She says, Derek, when I was seven years old, I overheard a conversation that I got and that I saw my dad take from a store owner that said, sir, you bounced a check. I'm going to call the cops to come over to your house and we're going to haul you off to jail. As a seven-year-old girl, she learned that if you bounce a check, you go to jail. And so I said, okay, hold on. We're going to call on Monday. I will help you. We'll call your bank. I'll help you move the money from savings to checking. We'll cover it. You're not going to go to jail. She was like, oh, thank goodness. Mm. But I said, come in the office next week. We need to meet. Mm -hmm. So she came in and we began to peel back like an onion these money beliefs that she had. Because what I realized was on the outside, she looked very successful, had all the trappings of success, but she would never take my advice. It cost her a lot of money. And she was always complaining about the promotion she never got. But what happened was she had packed her brain with bad money beliefs Mm. that if I make any financial mistake, I'm going to lose it all. I need to play it safe because I saw my dad at the age of seven, make a mistake. I don't want to make a mistake. Mm. And as we talked through it, she was like, Oh my gosh, Derek, I can't believe these beliefs have held me back within three months. I kid you not. She got a huge promotion was making $20,000 more per year. And she began to take my advice. She began to make money on the investments I proposed to her that she was willing to take risk on. And what it taught me was she's 60 years old now, but she was living trapped in a bad money belief she had from the age of seven. And so what I would ask people right now to think about is if you're not happy with where you're at financially right now, you've got a decision to make. If you do nothing, pardon me. If you do nothing, you're going to keep on the same path and not achieve the success you want. But if you can address and say, what money beliefs am I holding that are holding me back? That can be your pathway 
to an entirely new future that you never thought was possible. Yeah. What What are some other bad money beliefs that well, people have? Yeah. One is, and this is one that I really rail against, and that is, you know, picture back when you were a kid, it might have been a well-meaning mom or dad or grandparent that would bang their fist on the kitchen table and say, if only we had more money, mm-hmm. then we could do fill in the blank. Yeah. And it was the lack of money that held people back or the pursuit of it. It's so hard to make money. Why is money? And we begin to think that money is evil. Mm-hmm. But instead, we want to provide people a pathway to say, look, money is good, but it's just a matter of how do you know how to do it? How do you make more of it to then do more good with it? But one of the other things that holds people back is they might have heard at a young age or even, even now, you know, in life, there is the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. And our family, we're the have-nots. And so we, we just are going to live a life of struggle. Mm-hmm. And so as a young person, when you hear someone you respect say that to you, you can't help but accept it as truth. Mm-hmm. And so your whole life is based on, I can only make a certain amount of money. There's a, I will there's only a, have a, a certain pa- amount of opportunity. passive victim mindset. Both of those, yes. there's a... We're a bystander. We're, we're. I am not in control of my destiny. I, right. I am. I am a victim. I'm. There's a passivity. Is is, is that is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. In other words, if you think of it like a football game, and you know you are the most talented running back on the team, but the coach keeps <clears throat> putting the other running back in, you can either stand there and hope that out of some fluke the coach will say, "Oh my gosh, Derek, I forgot about you. Let's go in." Or are you going to be pestering the coach day in and day out to remind him, I'm the better running back, put me in the game? Mm -hmm. So a funny story. When I was in college, uh, I did a couple internships with Mm Chick-fil-A and would travel around the country training their stores on marketing and these kind of things. Oh, that's cool. It was really cool. Cool gig. And I remember going to Chick-fil-A corporate office in Atlanta, and it was the final interview and the guy's name was Steve Robinson. He was the VP of marketing. And I said, Mr. Robinson, before I leave, I want to tell you something. He said, yes, Derek, I am the best person for this job. You need to hire me. And I put my hand down, shook his hand, and he was, his eyes were as big as saucers. Mm-hmm. And they did hire me. And when I tell that story, people say, Derek, wasn't that a bit braggadocious? Wasn't that a bit over the top? I said, no. Do you believe in the truth? I was simply telling him the truth, and I didn't want there to be any lack of clarity on the truth. I was the best person for the job. Mm -hmm. It ended up being the best person they hired based on the results they got. But in that moment, when you feel like you are the best person, you owe it to yourself and to them, because let's think about this. I would have robbed them of possibly not hiring me, and I helped add money to the bottom line by not telling them I was the best person. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's about taking that moment and saying, if you are the best person, let them know. Don't let them guess. Yeah. Because you're putting too much on a potential customer or client to try to figure out yeah. what you can do to them. you got to clearly tell them, here's the problem you have. Here's my solution. Here's how your life looks when I solve it for you. Is that the life you want? When you lay it out clearly, then they can say yes or no. Yeah, but at least you give them the chance to say yes or no. And and you you took active 
control. You took you you put yourself you you going back to twenty six year old kid. I just started this practice. I don't have any money. I don't have leads. I'm calling the phone. No one's answering. I got. I can either say, "Oh, there's just no money. People don't want to hire me," or right. I can start faxing t- TV yeah, studios. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Man, that's that's good. That that's that that that's really good. So so that's the 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 book to summarize it is is speaking into some of these false beliefs and rewriting that narrative. And yeah. so you so you got you had never written a book. Well, this was actually my second book. Oh, this is your second book. Yeah, yeah. So my first book I wrote as a financial advisor. It's called Master the Media mm-hmm. to Attract Your Ideal Clients. So what I learned in working with the media. Oh, this uh, is written for financial. For financial advisors and other small business teaching owners. teaching them your marketing PR yes. Here, here's, here's my framework of what to say, what to do. Even, even I wrote out scripts for what to say in front of clients mm. so that you're not solving the problem in front of them, all those things. And so this was my second book. And, and are the, you a good writer? Do you like writing? Was that hard to do? I I like writing in the sense that I know that writing <clears throat> leads to wealth. Yeah. And that the written words are gold. Yeah. But I don't enjoy the process. And so what I did was two things. I had a good editor mm-hmm. that helped me. But what I find is I tend to speak better yeah. than I type. Yeah. I'm the same way. Typing is takes yeah. me so long. So my, my first book, I, I would have to write 1,000 words a day, wow. which was three double-spaced Microsoft Word pages before I could allow myself to go to the office. Mm-hmm. So every morning, I called it Flashlight Faith. Every morning, <laughs> I would know, God, I don't know what I'm going to write about, but I trust you're going to be right there with me. And as I type, we're going. Mm-hmm. And some days, it was pretty good. Other days, you wanted to throw it out the door. But it was just inside of the discipline came the value. Mm-hmm. And so the more I consistently did it... Inside the discipline came the value. Came the value. <clears throat> and so my next book, just because of, of, of launching a new business, other initiatives, but I knew the book would be a calling card, a written business card, if you will. Yeah. I would do two things. One is I would record myself. And so I would get a cup of coffee. And I would basically pretend like I was having coffee with somebody else and just speaking about these topics, and then I I would send the transcript uh, to a place to edit it, then I could just edit what I wrote. And what that did is it it allowed two things. It took out any furthermore, nevertheless, those are words that we don't use. And you're a good communicator. I mean, you you have built your your career as a communicator, you unpacking money. Yes. So you're good at, you're naturally good at that. So that that made the process way easier. Yeah, it did. It's it just the discipline. I tend to get distracted easily. And so I could do this in bursts. Mm-hmm. I could go maybe 30 minutes at a time before my mind started to wander off somewhere else. But then compiling all of that and having an editor, having someone help with that process was extremely helpful. Mm. But also I realized if, if you have a book inside of you and a concept that can help the world, I, I feel like it's a heavy burden that if you don't share it, you've done the world a disservice. Mm-hmm. I'm just a big believer, and I want to think of myself as a potential extractor mm-hmm. in people. If I see potential, I've got a pickaxe, and I want to hammer away to unlock that potential because your idea, like, like writing this book, if I go speak to a group, and let's say they pay me $15,000 to speak to them, and their advisors uh, generate an additional million dollars in revenue, well, 
it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. It's all a win-win. You're adding value to people's lives. They're implementing it and you're helping improve their lives. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of keep banging this drum and it, this, this, you have a couple of recurring themes. The first is, is sort of the belief that you help people, that people need what you're yes. like. You, you have the ability to help people. Don't feel guilty about that. No. Put yourself out there. You've got to share it. You also got to ask for it and charge for it. Yes. Um, and you got to tell, tell the good stories. Uh, that is well summarized. Right yeah, there. Man, these are, these are great. These are sort of like yeah. Derek isms that are, yes. that are apparent. So, and, and everything you do. So, so you wrote this book, you did the hard work, yep. uh, you release it yeah. and it did really well. It did. It did really well. Was that surprising? I mean, you, you built this. It's always surprising. You never know how things are going to go, but uh, yeah. And yeah. you, so you, you sold your job or sold your company. Yes. Kind of quit your job gambling on this new thing yeah. another another Derek gamble so to speak right right and it was donald miller wrote the wrote the forward wrote the forward, wrote yes. the forward yeah. which is one of my writing heroes marketing heroes he's an amazing guy um, yeah and the book does well it winds up on us usa today bestseller yes yes washington post bestseller well usa today and then uh, the wall, wall street, street journal. journal bestseller yeah. yeah 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 and so were you were you freaking out when that happened were you what was that moment like? Well, I'll, I'll tell you a story about that. Um, <clears throat> it, it was a cool moment, but I learned something. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you a story. Prior to the book releasing, I, I wanted to have it release on 22222. Mm-hmm. The revolution begins 22222. Mm-hmm. I spent several months crafting this well orchestrated book marketing launch plan. Mm-hmm. Talked to people I'd had on the podcast, well respected people, and asked them for their advice. And it was the day before the book launch. Again, I feel like it was the Holy Spirit um, just inspiring me to write on a sticky note, have influential people tell their followers to buy your book. Have influential people tell their followers to buy your book. That's it. That's it. So I literally scrapped this 20-page document I had put a lot of sweat and tears into and now my business plan for the mark for the marketing of the book was a sticky note. <laughs> and basically what that led me to think about was my friend Bob Bodine wrote a book uh, recently. And the concept was, you know, everyone you need to know already. Mm-hmm. Like I used to think if I could just get Kim Kardashian or if I could get Matthew McConaughey to, to do something for me, boy, that would be it. Well, well it would be, but why would they? Why would they want to help me mm-hmm. in this situation? But my friends who care about me and love me, mm-hmm. they might know someone who knows someone that who would want to help me. You know what I'm saying? So what I did was I wanted to tie the book to a cause. And so one of my friends, her name is Sharon McMahon. Mm-hmm. Um, she's known as America's governor, uh, kind of a government teacher around the country, is she introduced me to a concept called RIP medical debt. And basically, delinquent medical debt is a huge issue around the country, okay, mm-hmm. where people that have unexpected medical issues, it just crushes them financially. So this company goes and buys delinquent medical debt for literally pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. So if I donate $100, it might pay off like $1,000. It's like a 10 to 1 multiple, okay? Mm-hmm. And then these people get a letter in the mail that their debt has been paid off. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of connotation to that. Mm-hmm. And so I went on with Sharon and she was a big fan of the book. And so I said, 
if we sell a certain number of books, I'm going to donate a certain amount to RIP Medical Debt. Well, what happened was their base got real excited about it. We ended up paying off $2 million wow. of delinquent medical debt for people all over the country. That's cool. So what happened was we sold a lot of books. We put money in, but it had a 10x multiplier of the the, the result that it had for people's lives. So which I is want, what the book's about. Which is what the book's yeah, about. Yeah. So, so it wasn't just about, here I'm out here schlepping books. Yeah. Is the book can help people personally but it also helped make a lot of people's lives who were in debt suddenly medically debt-free, and people felt excited because they were part of a cause. They were part of a movement mm -hmm. that the book launched. That's cool. And so we then replicated that with several other influential people because the bottom line, Jamie, if you go to your client base and say, hey, I want you guys to do this, so they may ask a couple questions, but they'll probably say, okay, mm -hmm. if Jamie said do it, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I could spend all this time on paid advertising or, or doing this or that. But if somebody influential tells their followers to buy my book, odds are a lot of them will do what? They'll buy the book. Mm -hmm. And that's what led it to be successful. And you tied it to a cause. You, let's do yes. something good. Let's, let's have a purpose and meaning. Which, right. which is similar to what you did back in when you're 26. Yeah. Sponsoring these high school kids. Well, and what you know, I would go back to. Similar sentiment. Similar. And, you know, what I go back to is writing a book, launching a business is always what I call now the storm before the calm. Hmm. So many people think, oh my gosh, when I write this book, my phone is going to ring off the hook. I can't <laughs> handle all the DMs. Yeah. I got to hire a staff. And yeah. then it's crickets. Yeah. Because... You write the book. Now you have to create the storm. Yeah, we are we are you storm create creators storm. Oh, as business owners. We have to create the storm. We have to create the rain, the storm. And so, what I realized is, if you have a message that you're passionate about, like when I look at that book, I realize the number of people have said, "Derek, this book has helped change my life. It's influenced my family, helped change my business, helped change me as a person." Well, I've got to take that message to the world and beat that drum loud. Mm -hmm. And so it's always successful people I just find are always putting themselves in the pathway of more rejection. Mm -hmm. If there's not a clear path of yeah. more rejection, successful then you are on people, the wrong path. Successful people are putting themselves in the pathway of more rejection. They're putting yes. themselves out there. Yes. And if, if you're not, you're, you're doing it wrong. Yes. Which is what vulnerab vulnerability. Right. Which is why vulnerability and courage are... are synonymous synonymous yeah but yeah not uh, at first glance they're not but but right it's a vulnerable to put it no one's going to throw rocks at anybody that just hides in the corner no it's like when no. you put yourself out there and say i have something to share i'm yeah you become a target mm -hmm. man that's that's good and when you become a target that's when you should think of it this is joy mm -hmm. because what that means is i've actually pulled people out to have an opinion if I can force people's hands to give me an opinion, even if it vehemently disagrees with mine, mm -hmm. that is winning. Yeah. Because now I've clearly identified who's for the message and who's, and who's against the message. And it rallies the people that are for it. Yes. Yes. It's, it's the, are you familiar with the man in the arena uh, quote? It's in my book. Oh, it is. That's, that's why we named our. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Yeah. So our oldest daughter is Roosevelt. Is her is her. Oh, uh, that's so, is her so beautiful. First name. So because that I you know 
we love that that oh, the sentiment is beautiful. like is the person who's out there going for it, who's fighting. Yes, it. yes. There's a lot of people, spectators yes. in the in the, on the sides who are. It's also Brene's Brown. What was her book that was all about that? Well, Dare to Lead. Yeah. was a good book. Maybe that book that book is all about what we're talking. Yes, about um, the man in the arena. Man wow. in the arena. Yeah. So, the book or the two men in the podcast studio. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I was gonna ask you about your podcast. We haven't yeah. talked about that. Yeah. So you launched that around when you sold the business, and the, to explain that, what 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 do you do? What's the concept? Yeah, yeah. So I, I had a decision to make. I'll, I'll tell you a story. So this, I sold the business January of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, unknowing that March of 2020, the world's about to shut down because of COVID. Okay. So you sold it January 2020. Yes. Okay, that's good timing. It, it was good. Yeah. Because if you were two God. months later, it would have been. Very... Yeah. 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 It could have impacted things. Wow. Um, so March, everybody's back at home now. And so I agreed to stay on for six months. Mm-hmm. And one of the hardest things I've ever done, uh, not podcast related, was I called every one of my clients personally to tell them I was selling the business. Mm-hmm. And just like you care deeply for each of your clients, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was pressing a button that replayed all of the emotions we've ever shared together, the highs and the lows, all the goals we've helped them reach were replayed on every conversation. It was so emotional because there were some people that were, were honestly excited for me for the future to say, Derek, you're doing what you've helped us do. We are so happy for you. Mm -hmm. Other people were distraught. Mm. Derek, you're letting us down. We signed on to work with you for the rest of our lives. I can't believe you're doing this to us. Mm. And it was hard not to take it personally, but they meant well. One lady, I think, summarized it the best. She said, Derek, I said, yes. She said, if you're going to have a midlife crisis, which is clearly what this is, (laughs) just go buy a Corvette. It's a whole lot cheaper. It'll (laughs) save us all a bunch of time. (laughs) I laughed. That that was funny. That's so good. But, but it took me about two months to call each one of those people. And I remember I, I would keep a tally. I needed to call 20 people a day. Wow. And I, I, I broke down in tears the last call I made. And it's even coming back now, the emotions I felt. Because these are people I cared about. I loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I carry them in my brain 24-7 for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And you can't just shut that off with a phone call. And so that was important for me to end that well, because I, I've been around other professional services providers where they say, Derek, well, I'm retiring. And it's, it's, it's a grieving process. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell me why. And I, I didn't want that to happen to other people. Mm-hmm. So now it's March and I decide either do, do I write the book or do I do the podcast? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to my daughter. We're kind of bouncing some ideas off. And I realized if I write the book right now, a book is written in private and there's nobody knowing what you're doing, but a podcast is public, mm-hmm. but it's also messy because you're figuring it out in front of other people. But I thought right now the world needs a public voice of reason more than they need a published author. Mm-hmm. And so I then launched the podcast. Okay. And so it, it was looking thinking in back. In the middle of COVID. Middle of COVID, yeah. launched the podcast and it was probably one of the best decisions that we made because it, it made me at least feel like I was adding value to people's lives. Mm. We brought on some really cool guests, which were good. 
um, but it also helped get the message out in a way where people needed to hear it, mm -hmm. which was important. And so, you know, we've had, again, we've had some great guests. We've had Jamie Ice on the show, one of our top guests, of course. Um, but, but we've had people with recognizable names. We've had people that people... Had like Matthew McConaughey We've had McConaughey on there, Ed Milet, uh, uh, Mel Robbins. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of my favorites, I'll share this story with you. One of my favorites was a guy named Mark Randolph. Okay. Mark Randolph, you may not know the name, but you know the company. He was the co-founder of Netflix. Oh, wow. This little itty-bitty video company that nobody's <clears> ever heard of. <throat> mm -hmm. So we're about two-thirds of the way through the podcast, and he's talking about fear. I said... Mark, what do you do when you get scared of something? And he says, Derek, you know, my son is a big skateboarder. And he says these bowls that the boarders skate in, there, there's one thing that people do that typically causes them to fall every single time. He said when people are on the board, they tend to look down and they see how hard the steep drop is and they lean back on the board. And he said when they lean back on the board, they almost always fall. He said, but the people who lean in and embrace those couple seconds of fear, they almost never fall. Mm. And I just thought that was That's a good. great picture. That's a great analogy. That we all have just a couple of seconds in almost everything we do, whether it's the phone call I don't want to make, mm -hmm. the conversation I don't want to have, the thing I need to say that I know I need to say to somebody, there's about three seconds of either fear or freedom that we're about to experience three seconds. And if we lean into those three seconds, we can go into that bowl Do the hard and then thing. you crush it. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I love roller coasters and uh, took my boys and some of their friends to Six Flags about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And my goal was to keep my hands up on the entire Titan roller coaster yeah. ride. And Titan, okay. Titan's intense. Titan's it. intense, okay? It's intense. And it's got a really steep drop after yeah. the big rise at the beginning. And I had to go through it as it's going up. You have to make the decision before it drops because when it drops, you're not making any decisions. Yeah. And I said, okay, the odds of me dying are low. The odds of me falling out are low. But if I do fall out, I will die quickly. <laughs> And so once I went through that framework in my mind of fear, I was like, the odds of me dying are low. And if I do die, it'll be quick. What the heck? Raise your hands. Uh -huh. And so the whole ride, and it. so those four seconds on the way down, then it's like, yes, uh -huh. I crushed this. And then it was just pure joy, mm -hmm. the rest of the roller coaster ride. Yeah, And it just taught me, I, I kind of tear up thinking about it because sometimes it's those simple fear moments mm -hmm that lets us build immunity to future fear. Mm. It's like a shot that we give ourselves to say, you know what? When fear crops up again, I can do it. I have a deepened sense of immunity to that. It's still there, yeah. but I have faced it once and I can face it again. Yeah, the fear doesn't ever go away, but it's just no. your ability to, to push through and do the hard thing. Yeah, I mean, there, there's simply no expiration date on fear. Mm -hmm. it, it thinks it has a renewal date. But it's up to us to cancel it as often as possible. Yeah, man, that's good. So many good nuggets. Um, so you launched the podcast, you launched the book. So now, so now, and you were did you, were you on social media as much then? Like, or, like were you on Instagram? Were you posting content, or did it, was that did that kind of start with the podcast? 
Yeah, it started with the podcast. I, I really even couldn't spell Instagram back in the day. But yeah, so we, we began to craft out the core messaging, which was money is not bad yeah. and good people should have more of it. Mm-hmm. And we want to give you the tools to make more money. And, and one of the things that we found as we did our research on this was there was a like an experiment that a Harvard professor did. And he took envelopes and gave them out to two groups of college students. And he said... In this envelope is a $20 bill, and by 5 o'clock tonight, I want you to spend this $20 on yourself. Buy anything you want, and then you're going to report back how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he gives out five envelopes to students that says, spend this on yourself. He gives another five envelopes to students and says, I want you to spend this on someone else, however you choose to do it, or give it away and report back how you felt. So the students go out, some of them buy, you know, candy or I bought a new CD. Some people give money to the food bank or buy a teddy bear for their niece and they report back. And the people who bought something for themselves had very little increase in life satisfaction. Mm. It felt good in the moment, but there was no lasting significant increase in their joy. Mm. The people who gave it away felt a noticeable increase in joy, and so much so, it was still positive up to two days later. Mm. So his whole point was that money is money, and if you're an employer and you walk around and give $20 bills to people, well, they're going to thank you for it, but it doesn't really leave lasting meaning. But if you can say, hey, here's 20 bucks, and I want you to pick who you're going to give this to or what charity to support with it, you get to choose that they're going to have a lot more joy. Mm. And so the point was that money is more valuable when you give it away, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And so then in the book, I quote one of my friends, her name is Bebo Calandro and she is a big researcher. And she talked about how the brain is wired for giving and generosity. And the example she gave was, she said, Derek, if you watch like a, a, a TV commercial and it's a car company and they talk about, Hey, we've got the latest and greatest features you know, the truck bed comes open, it's remote control, your brain is like, hey, that's pretty cool, okay? But if on that same commercial they say, with every purchase of a truck, we're going to make a donation to an underprivileged neighborhood so that those teens can have the skills to reach their full potential, well, there's a part of your brain that reacts to that message in the same way, get this, as though you're looking into the eyes of someone you love. Mm. It's almost this romantic connection that our brain has with, when you do more good, I feel better about it. Mm. And so part of the book is how can what I call face-to-face business owners, people that work face-to-face with their clients, Mm. people in design, people in graphic, people in financial advisors, realtors, CPAs, that tell a story, how can they then, when we give a framework for this in the book, how can they pick a cause they care about? I call it your generosity purpose and share that cause with their team, which reinvigorates their team and with their client base and the community that says, you can work with anybody that does what I do. I am not the only game in town, but if you work with me, you're getting a special bonus you're getting to be part of a bigger picture that you can know when your head hits the pillow at night, you have lived a meaningful life because you're working with us. And by working with us, you're making people's lives better. Mm. That to me 
time and time again will cause people to go make more money, to do more good, attract and retain better quality people. And when the competitors come knocking, you will put a moat around your client base. Because By say, having this generosity. Purpose. Yes, because it connects to people on a deeply emotional level, especially higher net worth people that are like, I can write the $1,000 check and so support the golf tournament or make the donation here or there. But when I'm involved in something on a daily, regular basis, and now I'm going to make more money so that I can support something like any organization, it causes them to be more compelled to do that. It just reinvigorates them at a deep level. I love that. I think that's true. And that's, you're speaking specifically for businesses or individuals or both? It's both. It's both. So a a quick story. So one of our clients, um, I've never had this happen before. We're in the meeting. They're both in their late 70s. And Ted says, Derek, I want you to come over here and put your hand on my chest. (laughs) Well, I've never had a client say to me, Derek, put your hand on my chest, yeah. okay? So now I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so he puts my hand on his chest. And he says, Derek, right there is my pacemaker. Mm. And right here, right now, I want you to promise that if anything ever happens to me, if this pacemaker fails, that you will take care of Mary. Wow, that's powerful. Well, yeah, I mean, what else are you going to say in the moment? Well, yes, I'll take care of Mary. Mm. Not really knowing what that meant, but I care deeply for this couple. Mm-hmm. About a year later, I get a call uh, and I was her second call to make besides her family. Derek, um, Ted's pay, pacemaker failed. He passed away. And so over the next six months, it was helping her walk along what is her new identity as a person. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't just the panic of what are we going to do? We had a plan in place for this. Now it was simply walking alongside her with the plan. Mm-hmm. But she said to me, Derek, I, I just feel so bored and lonely I want to do something. And she talked about how Ted's favorite charity was the food bank at the Greek Orthodox church that he religiously went to. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to support that, but she was on a fixed income. She had investment income, but she wanted to have her own money to support it. Mm-hmm. So I, in digging, I found out that she was a huge Rangers fan. Mm-hmm. She loved baseball. I didn't know this about her. She'd watch every game. And I said, what if we did this? What if you applied to be an usher at the Ranger game, oh, you could cool. see baseball, you could interact with cool people, you'd make money, and you could give part or all of that money to support the food bank and your honoring Ted and making yourself feel happy. So we filled out the application together in our meeting in my office. Mm-hmm. She got the job, and it was amazing. She comes back in three months later, it's during baseball season, she looks younger. Oh, that's cool. Her doctor says her blood pressure has dropped. She looks happier, and now she's actually doing something where she loves baseball. She's building relationships with these people that sit in her section all the time. But the bigger thing was, here was a woman who was reborn with a new sense of meaning. She didn't have a big business. Mm -hmm. She just said, I want to go get a part-time job doing what I love to support a cause I care about. Mm -hmm. So whether it's an individual, whether it's an executive, a business owner, the key is ultimately you're going to pad your bank account to be so high that it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And the meaning is fleeting. It's yeah. like a drug. Yeah. I've got to keep getting a bigger hit. But when you tie, I'm going to go make more money and I'm going to take a portion of it to go do this with it. 
That's powerful. The, and it gives you a reason to go make more money that's good. The money transforms. It becomes there's yes. more it's it's more valuable. Like yes. it, it it's because money money doesn't make you happy, but it solves a lot of problems, allows you to do a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. But the whole premise of having a you know, this generosity purpose is you will be happier. It will mean more to you. And it will impact others. Yes. Which all, all full circle, all the way back to 16 year old working at Minyards. Yeah. 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 So that you could give it a, like, yeah, that's yeah. wild how like full circle that is. Full circle. You kind of yeah. discovered that then. And that's inadvertently become sort of your life's work, so to speak. It is. And it's funny because like, I like to make money. I just like it. Mm -hmm. Like, I like to check my net worth every quarter. I call it the report card for adults. Mm -hmm. It's fun to see how am I doing, how am I not doing. But what I realized, at first the joy came from seeing the progress and seeing my wealth grow. Mm -hmm. But even that led to a sense of emptiness. Yeah. But when there's causes, and, and as, a, as a believer in Jesus, there's causes. For example, there's a, there's a gentleman that loves to do overseas missions work. And there's a concept that I believe in called kings and priests. And there's this concept that goes that if you're in business or you have the ability to make money, then part of that responsibility is to give that to people who can help make the world better. Mm -hmm. And so Clyde is his name. Uh, we just have a standing agreement that whenever he goes overseas, he will call us and ask us to pay for his airfare. Mm. Now, there have been times where the business was pretty lean, mm -hmm. and typically that's when that request comes in, and I always just say yes, mm. and then I'll say, oh, by the way, how much? Because I've committed to yes. Yeah. And once I commit to yes, then there is this infusion of faith, faith and financial faith that come together to say, okay, God, how are we going to solve this problem? Because mm. I love the act of continually putting my back against the wall, and there's something that just rises up. Mm-hmm that says it's now or never, we've got to do this. Yeah, it forces forces action. It forces... Forces action. Mm -hmm. There's simply, there's no going back. I mean, literally, I, I cannot go back. I have to march. It may be a slow march forward, mm -hmm. but we are, whether I'm going to fall or, or lean forward or run forward, there's going to be some forward action here. Man, that's good. That's good. Um, okay, I want to ask a few random questions. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of which one I want to do. I have a, okay. G give me if 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 I this could be dangerous. These, these are gonna be faster. So these okay, these sure, are gonna be sure. faster. Okay. So if I had a million dollars, what would I do with it? What should I do with it? I've worked real hard. I got a million bucks. Where should I put that? What 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 is your financial advice? Well, I, I mean, there there's a couple things. Number one, I I I'd putting you back give, in the financial. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, we would give a lot of it away. Mm. It, it, to me, to me, giving is not I give, you win, I lose. Mm -hmm. To me, it's about placing investments. Mm. And so what I like to do is when we're giving things, I'm placing investments that will grow in this future economy, you know, mm. the eternal economy. So probably give a large portion away, um, but also invest. Mm. I love to invest. Like I really like to invest in pre-seed investments mm. that haven't gone public yet where you're betting on the vision and the drive. Cause it reminds me of me, mm. but in a space I don't know how to operate in, but the character qualities are similar to ones that I've got. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also I would invest 
Well, what I would also do is I would tell each of my kids, I'm going to treat you to a day with dad doing anything you want. Mm. Um, and I do that a lot on Father's Day is I'll say, okay, I want to have two hours with each of you doing whatever you want. Oh, that's cool. So I, I get to do that. what they want with me. It's a win-win. Oh, I love that. I've listened to playlists in the Jeep. We've gone you know, kayaking. I've gone shopping. Anyway, that's a separate issue there. But yeah. but I, I'd probably sneak in, hey, I'll pay for whatever you want today. Yeah. Just spend the whole day with me. Let's have fun together. I love it. I love it. The current state. So we're, we're in this kind of tumultuous, it feels tumultuous. Yeah. Economy, interest rates are 8%. Mm-hmm. Just quick, quick, quick thoughts, quick takeaways how how should people what should people be doing and thinking about where we're at right now i want you to look in the mirror every day and say i've heard there's a recession coming but i've decided not to participate mm. and say that <laughs> repeatedly throughout the day yeah I because love that. The, the recession uh left on its own will choose random people to drag down but we need to rise above that mm. i mean in a recession it just simply means there's a new set of problems should be the correct definition of a recession mm. And so people who have a business, they may have to recraft their message, recraft the problems they solve. But now it just means there's heightened problems. And in absence of value, people make price decisions. Mm. In clear evidence of value, people choose to work with people who can solve their problems. So I think there will be an equal number of people that do really, really well and those that don't do well. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Mindset. Mindset. And also how you're pitching and selling what you're doing. Yes. It's full circle to some, some of the things you've said earlier. Uh, how do you feel about Bit, Bitcoin and crypto? What I are, like what Bitcoin you... and crypto. Yeah. I've invested in Bitcoin and crypto. You have? I've lost quite a bit of money in Bitcoin <laughs> and crypto. Matter of fact, I lost money in the whole FTX deal. Uh-huh. So yeah. I had a wire. I heard about the troubles going on and had a wire set to go out at, I think it was like four o'clock that day, but I missed it by a day. And my money got jammed up. Oh, no. So now that money is in part of the bankruptcy Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But I've learned when you blaze a new trail, there's going to be arrows in your back. Mm -hmm. And the crypto market is fraught with all kinds of stuff. But there's another investment that I've gone into. It's It's a variant of Bitcoin where they're mining for Bitcoin off of the gases from landfills. So they're taking gas that would hurt the environment, using it to fuel electricity to then uh, mine Bitcoin. But what they found was that it's actually generating enough extra electricity on the grid. They can sell it back to the state. So now they're making money in an unexpected way. So so it was a way I can either go pure into Bitcoin or Ethereum, mm-hmm. which I still like, yeah. or here's an offshoot of that. But I, in my book, I call it the four lanes of investing mm-hmm. and the fast lane where you get the most tickets, the most accidents occur is where you want to put some speculative money. Mm-hmm. We all need an investment story to tell. Mm-hmm. At your favorite cocktail party, you don't, you don't want to be the boring person that yeah. only invests in CDs. Yeah. You need to have at least $500 yeah, and something. in Ethereum or crypto to tell yeah. a story. Tell for a story. Sakes. And, and it might do well, but you don't want to have everything there, but yeah. you need to be diversified. What's the best investment single investment you ever made and this could be yeah yeah in, in anything well I'll, I'll give you the the real answer then i'll give you more of the this will sound good on the okay. soundbite answer yeah uh visa okay. so with my clients one of the things that i really loved doing was getting my clients into stocks the day they went public mm. we did this, did this with chipotle google a mastercard 
Visa and a handful of others. But Visa was one that already had a track record. People were already in the habit of using their Visa cards. Mm -hmm. And so I put in $100,000 into Visa and over about maybe eight or nine years, it grew to a million dollars. No way. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. But it was, it was, it was the combination of where you have a gut feeling about it, mm -hmm. but then you've got to take action. But then you're also most importantly following consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. Like if this had been a brand new idea, never been done before, I might not have put a hundred thousand dollars into it, mm -hmm. but people were already using their visa card. People already had a habit of using credit cards. So I was simply buying into the consumer behavior trail already, already blazed, if you will. Mm. But it was up and down. And, and then Google did, did fairly well also. You got uh, into Google like when it went public? Yeah, yeah. -uh. Yeah. yeah, Google was interesting That's because cool. it was kind of a Dutch auction where it hung out at this certain price for several hours. And we got our clients into it. Um, I didn't do as well on that because I sold out earlier. Mm -hmm. Google was more volatile. It really yeah. tested your, your, your risk nerves, if you will. Yeah. Visa, though, was a good long-term plan. Several clients did very, very well. I would always only, I would buy theirs first, yeah. and I could only buy mine after theirs. Mm. It was just a value that I had as clients had to benefit first mm. before Derek did. Yeah. So. Those are cool. Those are fun little, fun yeah. little anecdotes. But there's also, there have been plenty of losses along the way as well. Oh, I'm sure. So. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, tell me about your shirts. You were the king of big, bold fun shirts. When did that start happening? Yeah. So these are Robert Graham shirts. And on the shirt, it says knowledge, wisdom, truth, oh, that's which cool. I love. And I don't know when it started, but it became my brand. Yeah. Personal brand. Personal brand. Yeah. And so wherever I go now, it's, it's part of my brand. And so what I realized is that there, there's a couple things. I call it the mayor mentality. And that is that if you ever enter a coffee shop or a room, you need to believe in that moment that you are the mayor and so that you need to act like you're that. the mayor because if you're the mayor, what does the mayor do? The mayor says hi to shakes everybody, hand, shakes hands with but the mayor also smiles at people as yeah. if oh, they, everybody should know me. It's just a mentality you need mm -hmm. to have. So when I walk into coffee shops, it's kind of a joke of, oh, hey, hey, and mo typically I'll know someone in most coffee shops I go to mm -hmm. um, just because of the the reputation in the community, that kind of thing. But it's like, hey, how you doing? How you doing? And they're like, okay. Because they're wondering, who is this guy? Yeah. So there's a friendly person who's always in cool shirts. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's a brand. Yeah. So there there was a movie actor many, many years ago when he, he famously was in more blue-collar roles. Mm -hmm. And he would always go to this one coffee shop and he was always seen smoking a cigarette. Okay, that was his... That was his perception. And so when blue collar roles came up, he would always be the guy they would call on because he had this reputation of he's the blue collar guy, smokes a cigarette, and he's easy to work with. Mm. Blue collar guy, smokes a cigarette. I'm not advocating smoking cigarettes, yeah. and he's easy to work with. Uh -huh. And so he he intentionally branded himself in a way that people were, made him memorable mm. because I believe memorable people make more money. Mm. If that's you are memorable nugget. as a person, you're going to make more profits. Yeah, that's a great nugget. Memorable people make more money. They do. Yeah. And you, you think about any athlete, any actor, actress, rock star, all those pieces, great podcast hosts, they're known for something or the company they hire makes them known for something. Mm -hmm. So if you're on a, on a, on a low budget right now, 
dress a certain way that you want to be known as and do it consistently. Mm-hmm. Say hi to everybody and act like everybody should know you. Th- those are keys there that can help you significantly grow your business and your reputation. Yeah. Oh man, those are good. I, lo- I love I love and agree with both those. And and I think again, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, like you you've got to become become a, but you know become a target, so to speak. It's like right, putting right. yourself out there to be known for something. Smiling, yeah. the mayor. Well, what I will also tell the you mayor too, mentality. I love that idea. I, I think it's good too. As you listen to this, please don't think, boy, Derek's life is all daisies and roses. Mm-hmm. It is not. Yeah. And so what I've learned is, I always go back to my highlight reel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ESPN has the highlights of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, what I learned many years ago was I was on a TV interview in Memphis mm-hmm. and it was a big break for me and I wanted to do it. And so I drove over there and when I finished the interview, I felt so good. I took a picture of myself in the mirror of the hotel when I got back because I wanted to capture the emotion I was feeling in that moment. And I said, I want to remind myself if ever I'm down, Mm. this is how I felt when I did this. And this is why I go on live TV. Mm. So I began to make a list of 10 things of what are some cool things I've done. And the whole point of that was to remind myself that when I face something hard or looks like the world is completely against me or I'm failing at a miserable rate, Derek, remember, you did it once And Derek, you can do it again. Mm. And I I think as athletes, they have this advantage over us because they can look up after they hit the home run and see the home run. Mm. They can walk into tonight's Ranger game and see the highlights from last night. Mm -hmm. How much better would all of our lives be if we had our highlights played Mm. every day? That's good. But that doesn't happen. Just like I talked about, we all need to have walking music. You stop and have have gratitude and think about it yes. and reflect on it and, and speak those truths over yourself. Yes. And when you're about to face something hard, if you're about to, if the phone is not your friend in that moment, it's become the foe and you know, if I don't make this call, it can't lead to future business. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll just, I just start dialing mm-hmm. and suspend all thought. And suddenly now it's ringing. Now, now I'm in the game. Now I'm in the arena. Yeah, there's no turning back. Okay, now. now we're in. Yeah. And sometimes it's just tricking yourself mm-hmm. to do things like that that lead to greater success. Mm-hmm. Some days I feel like picking up the phone or it's devotion. Some days it's not. Yeah. And it's duty. Yeah. And it's the pedals on the bike, duty, devotion. I just have to keep pedaling. Yeah. Man, those, those are so good. Um, what, what do you do to stay grounded, take care of yourself, uh, you know, when to put yourself in these type of mindsets. But what's, what's sort of your, do you, do you have a routine? Do you have habits? Do you have things you do sort of self-care rest type of things? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm a big visionary guy. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is a setting big goals. And so my goals largely drive my behavior mm-hmm. because I know if I'm going to do this by a certain time, I then need to do this. Like as an example, I knew I was going to come over here to be here at 930 today. So I got up like 30 minutes earlier mm-hmm. to get my Peloton ride in to then work on a couple key projects. And then my I said, whatever my status is on those projects, I am done when I leave to go see Jamie. Mm. 
And so I came over here with a fresh mindset of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. I got my exercise in. I ate my oatmeal, took my vitamins, mm -hmm. did my normal routine, yeah. got heavy work done, and then I, I can deliver on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I structure it. Mm -hmm. And so my, my prime time is the morning time. Okay. Eight to 10 is when Derek is able to help impact the world. So a deep work time. Deep work time. Yeah. What I realized was I was having coffee with people at eight o'clock. And I'd get back at 9.30 and realize, oh my gosh, the, the best of me is gone. Mm -hmm. So now I, I try to do coffee at 10 o'clock, mm -hmm. have 8 to 10 to do heavy work, get it done. So when Fresh. I have coffee, I always like to go into my next with a sense of accomplishment. That's good. Because there's nothing worse than going into your next feeling like the last is undone. Mm -hmm. You're still thinking about it. I don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. So a big part of, part of your principles is, is before you have meetings, do anything you want to do some sort of deep work and have closure there. Yeah. Yeah. And it may not be complete project completion, Yeah, but I put in, I, I got up, you made I was progress. true to myself. I made progress and it was meaningful progress, mm -hmm. which typically means for me putting the phone at a distance where I can't reach it. Mm. That leads to meaningful progress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turn, turning the phone off. Um, which, which which reminds me, I wanted to circle back on this, or just just highlight it. And another kind of takeaway, or, or something you mentioned, um, was one kind of listening to the Holy Spirit, which mm -hmm. generally happens in quiet. Yeah. And you mentioned sort of that um, five day sabbatical, yearly five day sabbatical that you take, where you sort of got this vision of some of I'm changing right, my right, life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but I do think there's something to unplugging your phone, putting your phone away, yeah, yeah. getting away, finding solitude, finding, because uh, you, you've had, you've had several moments that you've described in, in this episode of, of you unplugging mm -hmm. and then getting this wisdom or getting this clarity or yeah. hearing from God or, or, or so to speak. So I, I think that's just another practice that I, that I've heard you say you do yeah. that I want to highlight that because I think that's an important thing that that is hard to do yeah but, but that those those thoughts that wind up making you money or, or making a difference or impacting your life like right. generally come in intentional unplugging so true and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story the i was reading about very very successful people mm -hmm. and one of the things there's things you'd expect about they saved a lot or they had a business etc but i was curious about how they managed their time led their team and manage their mind. And one of the subtleties that came out of my study was they all had what they described as uh, eccentricities. Mm. They all had eccentricities, unique, uh, not easily understood things that they did that led them to success. Mm. And so I'll share with you a couple of mine one of them was, I, lo I love this. And but it also goes back to the mem most memorable people make the most money. Yes. Too. Well, I'm a big believer in reserving as many of my brain cells as possible for the critical things and not the routine things. Mm -hmm. And so when I had my financial planning business, I would have my right-hand person uh, put three bottles of water on my desk every morning. Mm -hmm. And there'd be two note cards every morning. And then I would actually have her, as funny as it sounds, go to Chick-fil-A and pick up oatmeal and a bagel, and it would be on my desk when I got there. And I would also let her know, because you're doing this, you can buy you breakfast as well. Mm -hmm. So what that did is every morning, I knew I'm drinking three bottles of water today. Mm -hmm. Before I can type on the keyboard, 
I had the notes on the keyboard. I need to write my two notes to people, and I've got my breakfast right here. Mm. And I let her know, you're helping tremendously add value to people's lives because I can spend less time on mundane stuff, Mm. and I can focus on stuff that makes money. She was like, okay. So now it gave her going to Chick-fil-A to buy me breakfast purpose that she was helping grow the business. Another thing I used to do is when I had my business, I had an office in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I'm driving to Dallas, and it's an hour there, an hour back. That's two hours. And at your hourly rate, I mean, that could be, you know, $1,000. Mm-hmm. So I then had somebody drive me to Dallas. Nah, like the like the Lincoln yeah. lawyer. <laughs> yeah, and I would sit in the back seat, and I would work nah. there and yeah. back. And it added tremendous yeah. You're productivity. gaining hours. Yeah. yeah. But the problem was... When I would tell people this stuff, they thought I had three heads, wasting money. What are you doing? You can't make your own breakfast at home. I said, yes, I can do all those things. But in terms of how God wired me and how I'm good at it and how I'm naturally good, this helps me be naturally gooder, as if that's a word. I can always play to my weaknesses and learn how to do these things, but why? There's always a, 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 an income benefit to hiring things out mm-hmm. and focusing on what I'm good at. Yeah. And so what I learned is to, to be at peace. That'd be my message. Mm. Be at peace with your eccentricities. I love that. Whatever your, your uniquenesses are, that's helping you be successful. You will be misunderstood for it, but it's almost a key ingredient to be successful is to have weird things about you that cause you to be wildly successful. Derek, that that sounds like your next book. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> I would love to I would love to read like learn more about the things you discovered the, the eccentricities that people do. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. And it's real it's, it's true. like I have my weird tons of weird things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's successful people like you generally do. Uh, well, once you start, yeah. it's a freeing experience, uh-huh. you know, like... And embracing them, embracing your things. Embracing them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just like when I... I mean, and part of it is you need to know when to be on. Mm-hmm. You know, p- part of the role that we're talking about here is the memorable people make the most money, but then you have to choose to be memorable. Mm-hmm. And so part of that means you're always living in at least a level of uncomfortableness. Hmm. You're always living there. Like when I wear a shirt like this to our church, nobody else has a shirt like this, but this is me. Yeah. Like I've been working on my shoe game, trying to be a little <laughs> bit cooler. And it's like, okay, you know, all of those things are uniquenesses yeah. that you want to have a personality. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that we know is that people like to work with people with knowledge. They like to work with people that can solve their problem they also like to work with a real person, mm-hmm. somebody with a personality that's yeah. intriguing, that's inviting, that's not just milk toast. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to have somebody who's out there doing stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. like when I had you on my podcast and you talked about how the highs of being on stage and the lows that come with that, mm-hmm. that's real. Mm-hmm. It invited me and I feel like I know you better because you were vulnerable. Mm-hmm. People like real, relatable, vulnerable people. 100%. But we're attracted to people that have uniquenesses. Yeah. If we try to be like everybody else, yeah. we're everything to nobody. Yeah, man, I love that. That's like that's like the one lesson I want my kids to learn. That's like, I want them to like, just be who you are. Yeah. Embrace it. But it's, as, as children, it's like, it, it takes, and as teenagers and 
like that's such a hard I feel yeah. like we all go through this, this, these stages in life where we just want to be like everybody else well yeah. especially in high school and uh, you know one of my passions as you know was investing in the lives of young people mm-hmm. and having a big nose uh, like I have I was teased mercilessly and by golly I was not going out of my comfort zone to raise any more awareness mm-hmm. or draw attention to me. That's what led me to run for, for class office was to break out of that and, and, and have my own identity. But I, I find right now teens have great ideas. Mm-hmm. Teens are being held back. They might be told by parents who are well-meaning that, hey, just get the job, go to college, go on the safe path, because that's all they know. Mm-hmm. So I launched simpleteensuccess.com to give people a, a, a new pathway. Mm-hmm. You know, 7% of parents, get this, believe that high school prepares their teens for the real world. And I, as I give that statistic, people say, what? Seven? That seems high. Oh, 7%. Only 7% of parents say wow. they think high school prepares their teens for the real world. They'll learn history and math and science and, and know how to go to the, the lunch line, all valuable skills, but in terms of how to have a confident conversation with an adult so they're noticed or, or how to not worry about when I talk to my teen with important advice, it goes in one ear and out the other, mm-hmm. or how do they not fall behind because they don't know how to manage, save, or invest money. We teach those skills in a practical, fun way that parents and teens love. Mm-hmm. And it's just something I realized that when I was in high school, I would have loved that. Mm-hmm. But it's the school of hard knocks that said, if I can help other people avoid the same pain and give them a quicker path to success, I want to do it. And so that's that's, that's, that's your latest venture. That's yes. that's what's next. That's the, and you just launched that, right? Yeah, we launched it. So we we launched it two months ago. Two months ago. And I, I called in my kind of my product testing period. Okay. And so we've had a, a good number of teens and parents. We do a parent live stream and then two teen live streams once a month. And picture this. We're giving away gift cards. We've got cool music. We've got special guests on the show. Um, and so the goal here is to give relatable life, business, and money skills in a fun way where teens are like, this is great. And while we're having fun, I'm learning stuff as well. Yeah. And finally, it's sort of like having that coach for your kids where you want to tell your kids something, but that other voice, they yeah, hear better. You, you need a third party. So yes. We get to be the third party to tell these teens what their parents want them to hear, but they're not listening to them. So I love it. And our and, goal and is that, to take and this nationally. And that is a, it's a course or it's a, you're part of a group, a membership, explain. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a membership community. Membership community. Yeah. So parents either, and it's affordable, people pay for it by the month or by the semester. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's all about providing an environment of like-minded parents and teens where if we could help them start a business in high school mm. or begin investing or be, be able to be able to have confident conversations if they see their friends, parents at Kroger or Target, mm-hmm. do I walk up to them and confidently say hello and engage them mm-hmm. and build respect? Or do I run off and hide and hope they don't see me mm-hmm. kind of a thing? So we call it running the play. We want to give these teens a pl- much like if you were in band or you've got a performance or you're, you're on a football team, they don't just run on the field and say, okay, when the whistle blows, just do whatever you want to. They run the play. But we're doing teens a big disservice if we don't tell teens, hey, before you walk into the coffee shop, here's the play. And that is, if you see someone you know or someone introduces themselves to you, always say, it is nice to see you. It's never nice to meet you. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, why would I say that? Because what if you met them before mm-hmm. and you forgot and now you look embarrassed mm-hmm. and nothing worse than a teen feeling embarrassed. Mm-hmm. But if it's nice to see you, Jamie, we might've met before, but who doesn't like it when it's, they're able to be seen. And so it's giving them the play to run and then teaching them small talk. You know, what can they say in that situation where they can engage a conversation, get it going and it opens up doors. These kind of soft skills yes. that are not taught explicitly. Yeah. So quick, quick story. So uh, a, quite a bit, high schoolers will say, hey, Mr. Kenny, can I take you to coffee? So I, I go to coffee. It's a senior at the local high school. And he starts off with, uh, can I pick your brain? And I never like that phrase because mm-hmm. I have limited brain cells to work with anyway. And if you pick it, there's less, for, less to go around. So I, I told him, what we want to do is you want to say to people, I have a plan. Can you give me feedback on the plan that I have? Oh, that's good. Because a high school student with a plan is lethal. They're unstoppable. And so he began to tell me that I said, if we were having coffee five years from now, what's the ideal scenario? So he says, I want to go into commercial real estate. I want to buy property. And so suddenly the whole vault of his ideas opened up. And I said, okay. I said, as we left, let me think of some ideas for you. As we're leaving the coffee shop, Jamie, I kid you not, in walks one of my friends who's one of the top commercial real estate people in Arlington, and I got to introduce him to the student. Oh, that's cool. Had the student not told me what his plan was, I wouldn't have known how to help him. Yeah. And so the lesson is, when you're a teenager, don't just reach out. It's always you're told to reach out to adults and get their advice on stuff, but how you phrase it is key. Yeah. You want to say, hey, Mr. Kenny, um, I have an idea and some goals I want to achieve. Can you help me think through it? Well, now I'm all in. Yeah, I'm in, yeah, I'm in on that. I'm pick, all in Pick on your that. brain. I'm like, I need to know what you want to really talk about. Right, right. Give me specifics. Yeah. So when we, when we teach our teens how to approach adults with a plan mm-hmm. and asking for the adult's advice, suddenly now it's as though you stepped into the adult's brain and you've taken over a bit of space in their brain that says, when this opportunity opens up, call him or her. And that's the game that we're in is how do we open up doors through adults because they're the gatekeepers of opportunities for you to really succeed in life. Oh, man, that's cool. That's so exci- it's fun. That's I'm, we're having stuff. lots of fun. So, yeah. so that that's sort of the next thing on the horizon. That's what you're passionate about yeah. right now. That's what you're working on. That's the newest. And, and so the goal with that is to take it on a more national level and platform. Yeah, so don't laugh, uh, but I think you'll appreciate this. I have a crazy, crazy goal. We want to impact one million teens around the country. So there's clarity of vision again. There you go. You know, you know what it looks like. You're dreaming it. You're you're visualizing it. Well, and, and the visualization is that when teens have this knowledge, they will stand out. They won't be overlooked. They'll have the edge and they'll be confident. And that's what every parent wants. And what I also envision would be if they go to college, colleges say, oh my gosh, these people have simple teen success experience. You get access to better scholarships, better acceptances, or if you go right into the workforce or let's say an internship in the summer, if you have simple teen success experience, you get an on-ramp into our internship program Mm. because you have the skills other teens don't have. So the goal is I just want to be Really, I need to work at Home Depot because I'm simply a door opener for people. <laughs> I just want to be a professional door opener is the goal. That. I yeah. love that. But you're sharing all these sort of wisdoms and and things that you've gleaned along your journey. Here's a, here's a way to give it back. 
Yeah, and I think I've said to myself, why don't young people already have this? Mm -hmm. And if I don't do it, there is the risk that nobody will do it. And so I have to step in. I know there's other people thinking the same thing. There are. There's typically no new ideas under the sun. But if it is to be, it is up to me. And I'm going to step in, and it's messy, if it's, and we're if figuring it's it out. If it's to be, it's up to me. Man, that's a great if it point. is to be, it is up to me. Yeah. Because ultimately, I can only control the vision. Um, and I, I don't want to lay my head on the pillow at night and think I didn't do something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these great movies, Braveheart. There, there's all these movies where there's this heroic scene, but there's always the, the one character that laments on their deathbed, if only I had just done this, if only I was nicer to my kids or done this, and I couldn't live with myself if I'm in that situation. I would rather, you'd rather wear out than rust out. Yeah. Well, man, I don't don't think, I don't think you're going to. I mean, you have gone for it time and time again. So, well, Derek, this has been a blast. There are like... Is it over? This has been great, Jamie. I've loved it. (laughs) We've been going for almost two hours, but man, it's so... Wow, okay, okay. Man, like... Yeah, I, I, I think like you have gone for it. You have you have done that and you're doing it again. Um I'm excited. I I, I believe you will accomplish that goal. I can Thank see, you. I can see like but man, there, there's so many good nuggets. I'm excited to go back and listen to this episode because I just feel like, man, so much so much wisdom and it's just encouraging mm. so, so many so many moments of encouragement just putting yourself out there and believing in it and visualizing it and, and, and doing it to give back and make a difference. Yeah. yeah. So I am inspired. I'm encouraged. Um, I'm I'm pumped up. I want to go like conquer the world now. Awesome. Let's <laughs> do it. Hearing this. We'll do it together. But dude, yeah. this was good, man. This was so good. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Jamie. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me today. I loved sure. it. Sure. Congratulations. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Stories with Soul. If you enjoyed the interview and like what you heard, please help us out and share, subscribe, and like anywhere you listen to podcasts. When you share and subscribe, it is insanely helpful and allows us to keep producing new episodes. You can always join us directly in the studio by watching the video version on our website, 6thavstorytelling.com. Stories with Soul is brought to you by 6th Ave Storytelling, an organic marketing company building standout brands on the foundation of story. You're obsessed with your business and we want to make the world obsessed with it too. Thanks for listening.